Welcome. Hey, all right, this is Tim Crisp, and you're listening to Road to the Skeleton Coast with Brendan Kelly. Brendan Kelly. What did I say, Brendan Kelly? Brendan, what's going on, Bubba? How are you? Yo, man, I'm good. No matter how many names you uh, threw at me, it's a little weird. Um, you know, like, I definitely sat out on my porch last night uh, with the concern that, uh, you know, people would come by, protesters, and or, uh, you know, there's people trying to cause problems and stuff like that. Uh, you know, quickly here at the top, uh, I think uh, it's important to for us to mention that, like, we're fucking very much on the side of these uh, protesters, um, very much on the side of the Black Lives Matter movement, and, um, you know, uh, me expressing any apprehension about, like, uh, anybody, be they overexcited protesters, straight-up looters, or, um, you know, fucking cop fixers, uh, breaking into my house has nothing to do <laughs> with uh, any any lack of support for the movement. Um, I just, you know, I got to be the dad and sit outside with a bat. <laughs> you know? hundred percent. hundred percent. This is a, the strangest time uh, of all time. And we hope that this episode is finding everyone well. It's super scary out there. Um, I'm in solidarity with the movement as well. I think that, um, the idea that there's, uh, something, something that is, uh, terroristic about the idea that Black Lives Matter is pretty atrocious. Um, but if there's something that you're hearing from any of us that makes you say, I, I don't like this, I don't like the way that they're talking about this. Brandon Kelly podcasts at gmail.com. Reach out to us, reach out to us nicely, and we'll have a conversation about it. It's important that we all try to help out within our communities and speaking to those people who might not be on the right side of things, in our opinion here, but to treat that with a conversation rather than saying, well, fuck you, get lost. We're here to talk and we're here to listen. So, Brennan Kelly Podcast at gmail.com, and we're here for all of it. So, we again, this is a it's a strange time, it's a weird time, and it's a it's a part of doing a thing for an audience that is a little strange because neither of us are are equipped or the uh, important voices in this room, in this conversation. But we're here to talk, and we're also here to give you all really the best thing that we can do, which is enjoy our time together. Yes. And we hope that you're all enjoying it too, and that this is a source of relief for you during a very, very scary and chaotic time. Yeah, man. Like... Dude, did you see? I mean, did you see that shit that Trump like uh, tweeted out yesterday, where it said like, "We see you, anarchists," and it was this guy who was like, it looked like he was from like the Sandusky, Ohio dinner theater version of like, "We're a bunch of criminals," and he's like, "Hey, okay, guys, what? There's any, anything you can do? I want you to destroy. Go get those picnic tables, okay? I see some picnic tables over there, and it's like." It's a guy clearly paying people. I mean, he's like such a fixer, you know, and that's mm-hmm. like, that's to me what's concerning about this is that there's so much like, you know, you see this, um, 
we saw that fucking weirdo with the umbrella um, in at the AutoZone in um, Minneapolis just mm-hmm. smashing out the windows. And then all the protesters were like, dude, what are you doing? And the way he turned around and stepped to everyone, it was like, oh, this guy's totally a fucking cop. There's no, like, mm. he's like, hey, yeah. what are you trying to do? Get out of my face. You know, I don't want to have to. And then it's like, you could almost see him stop before he said, like, arrest you because he's supposed to be, you know, Antifa or whatever. Mm. Right. And and it's like, it's like, uh, so the, the fix is fucking in on this shit. There's, um, my, my friend, um, is a, she, her, her, uh, Instagram uh, handle is Braids of Fury, and she's one of the greatest, like, resources of, like, right-on radical politics um, that, you'll, mm-hmm. that you can you can find. And she's just pointing out, like, that there's, like, random piles of bricks that are just appearing at all these right. fucking protests. And it's, like, to orchestrate, yeah. to orchestrate shit like that. So, like, when I say that I was sitting out on my porch last night, I just want to be perfectly clear – and transparent, and I think that you know, just to speak for uh, the, the the podcast organization, uh, every every single every single employee of this podcast, um, these protest hearts are in the right place. Any like sort of violence has nothing to do with the movement that's really going on, and I we know that, and uh, you know, like, and and you know what, fuck it, this is a res- is a response to violence, so. <laughs> A violent response is not unacceptable. Also, I mean, like, uh, mm-hmm. as much as like, I hate to see fucking fire, and I hate to see people like getting their asses whooped and shit like that. But like, eh, <laughs> I'm definitely not in a position to be like, hey, come on, keep it together when we're looking at like people being literally murdered casually on the street, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Just with total immunity, it's yeah. it's got uh, it's it's sort of the the idea that like the violence is only going to escalate the, the violence, but it's also the point that uh, there's a lot of violence happening uh, without any ramifications on one side, and that is all a arm of the government. Mm-hmm. kind of i i don't i don't think that there's anybody on any sort of uh political spectrum that can think that violence from the government onto the people is a positive thing no it's just not yeah no <laughs> it's just that's authoritarian uh, shit uh-huh yeah and and you know shit's getting scary and weird and like i know that's not why people come to listen to this but like um if you're not uh afraid of the um absolutely draconian um totalitarian measures that are being taken on a federal level right now if you're not angry about it i guess you don't have to be afraid you can just be angry um but if you're not one of those two things fucking wake up man it's it shit's real right now and it's fucking terrifying um anyway uh enough of that i'm sorry um i i kind of took uh, poor Tim on a tangent here, and uh, I apologize, Tim. Hey, that's okay. It's your show too. Um, it's a little bit more my show, but I'm willing to uh, <laughs> lead. You know, um, it was cool 
to segue into uh, a, a time last week when everything seemed so innocent. Yeah, just uh, back last week when it was just a global pandemic and everybody was locked in their house and terrified about like if the world would ever open again. And now it's like, oh, right. no, it, it sure won't. <laughs> yeah. But for a minute there, it was really cool because I got to see a lot of people get excited about a new Lawrence Arms record. Yeah, that was that was a, that was a good moment. That was a good moment. Um, and that record is still coming out July 17th. Um, the record is called Skeleton Coast. Um, we named the record after this podcast. This podcast is called The Road to the Skeleton Coast. I'm sure you can see why uh, we chose that name for the album. Okay. <laughs> yeah, what well, would you call it? Road 2? <laughs> no. <laughs> the Lauren's Arms Road 2? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. That, that, would be, that would be a weird choice of words from the name of this podcast to pick. For the name, <laughs> the Lawrence Arms, the skeleton to the um. Yeah. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it was cool to see people see that you're that you were doing something else before you became a podcaster. That you're a musician, also. That's right. And when we, if we do get to July seventeenth, twenty twenty, if if the if we're all still here, the seventh. Lawrence Arms album Skeleton Coast will be out in record stores and you can pre-order a copy and pick it up at your local record store which uh, we're we're all hoping that those are still there too even if you can't go inside you can still pick the records up from the record store if you pre-order them from the Lawrence Arms I got to imagine of every single kind of business I mean I know there's like fucking like cup meatloaf cupcake stores and shit like that that are like just like gonna like go tits up right away but i mean record stores as much as i love them and as much as they're like an integral part of my life can record stores survive this i don't know man i think this might be like the the brick and mortar records like there will be a point in you know like 10 years or whatever when the economy is doing something completely different where maybe somebody can open up a specialty record store. But the idea of like an old record store, you know, like the place where your dad used to go, but still stayed in business mm-hmm. because it just has that like sort of like curio um, X factor or whatever. Is that, that's gotta be, that's gotta be done. Right. Like no way, baby. All right. right. We're going to, we're going to get, Rid of the police. We're uh, we're gonna get rid of all of these motherfuckers in charge, and record stores are going to be back and better than ever. In yeah, fact, I would love uh, to go back to getting my ass kicked in a record store as opposed to by the police. Because um, <laughs> that was a much happier time in my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those were the days. Get my ass kicked. Me, me walking over to Full Circle Records in Crystal Lake, Illinois, and buying a Smoking Pope CD for nineteen dollars, and then asking the clerk if I could have a cigarette because I was fourteen. That one, yeah. My my local record store was Reckless on um, Belmont and Broadway. That's where I. Yeah, that's we where, know that, you're cool. I didn't say I was cool. Um, that's implied by the podcast existing. Uh, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, do I get that too? Yeah, 
Now, no, no. Uh, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm teasing. Um, yeah, that was that was uh, that was my local record store. Um, very special place in my heart. That that Northside Reckless Records back when it was on the east side of the street, particularly. Now it's in a different location, and I still, I mean, the sentiment's the same, but it's not like it's not like going to the spot, you know. There's not, but I'm also fucking like Methuselah or something. So like I'm like three thousand years old. So there's almost nothing from when I was a kid that's still in the same place, which is great. I think that the that the screen cap of you at the Jawbreaker show at Reckless then would be the picture for the Brendan Kelly rookie card. Yeah, yeah. That, that if you could get my entire nose into the photograph, that would be good. Oh, baby! From the north of the boot, that one comes from. Uh, so, hey, one of the things that I wanted to talk about about this new Lawrence Arms album, Skeleton Coast, out on July 17th, 2020, is the album art. We got some beautiful, beautiful work on the cover of this record. Yeah, dude. Um, so it's, yeah, it's by, it's Jeremy Bernil, um, my friend, what's weird, uh, okay, first of all, uh, Jeremy was um, contacted by David Holtz. I guess they've done a little bit of work together, and the the combination of those two is, uh, obviously, the results speak for themselves. Spectacular. Um, Jeremy, like, does, like, this kind of, like, I want to say, like, like, little golden books kind of looking shit, you know? Like, mm-hmm. if you remember those, like, with the gold foil on the spine, like the kid, the kid books. Um, it looks mm-hmm. like that. And it's like, it's, and it's not even, it's not even like that, like fucking cheese dick. Like it looks like a kid book shit, but it's perverse, you know, which is like, wah, 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 right. But it's like, no, nah, this just looks like that shit. Um, and then it's like, but it's got like an artistic sensibility that's slightly different. And, um, uh, my, my friend Dave, who's uh, like one of like the people that when I was a kid, like kind of like I, he was just a couple years older than me, and he was the kind of guy that like taught me how to like sort of just by example, like be a man. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. he, he was just like yeah. one of the guys. I was like, oh, you've got to figure it out. Okay, I'm gonna do things kind of how you do them, uh, and like we're about the same mm-hmm. age. Uh, he's a little bit older than me, but I just like. I mean, I still look up to Dave. He's great. Um, he's absolutely yeah. listening to this. Hi, Dave. Lick a dick. You live in Canada now. Um, but, but, so, but so he uh, he um, hit me up and he's like, dude, I don't believe that Jared Bernil did your uh, artwork. That's uh, my son thinks his daughter's potentially his girlfriend. <laughs> so, I don't, which I know is like, it's very convoluted, but uh, up there in Stratford, Ontario, which is like a cosplaying Shakespeare Canadian city, <laughs> which is also just hilarious as fuck right there. Um, apparently, Jeremy and my good friend Dave, their children are engaged in a romance that only Dave's son knows about. Uh, and Jeremy's Wow, it sounds like a real Romeo and Juliet situation. <laughs> yeah, you know? I don't know if, you, uh, if you're familiar with Shakespeare. I, oh, is that Shakespeare? 
Yeah, you know, yeah. I I only know Shakespeare from the barbecue chips. Um, oh, maybe that's not Shakespeare. No, no, no. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's big pun. Uh, but you get what I'm saying. <laughs> Um, Shakespeare, of course. Yeah, m- m- most um, most of his friends just called him Big Pun when he walked in. <laughs> the the, the, um, big, the main thing I remember about Shakespeare is that time in like 1998 when he was in love. Um, yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> good. Yep, Ben Affleck. Uh, so hey, so Jeremy Bernil, this album art—it's so cool. It's definitely an aesthetic that I don't think many people would have seen coming from your band because it's just it's got like that salmon background like we're used to lawrence arms records being pretty like you know dark having a having a real uh you know kind of ominous feel to them Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but this one is just like it's something else well font too oh yeah i can't i can't say enough good things about jeremy and david and how well I think they work together and just how well each of their individual um, talents really shine on this. I mean, the D- David did like also, uh, b- besides like doing the font and the layout and stuff like that, he did like the project managing for this. And we came at him with just this laundry list of shit that we were thinking could potentially be on the cover Right. Mm-hmm. And um it included stuff like uh there's there's a lot of references on, on the record to um to various wild dogs, you know, foxes, coyotes, um uh wolves and then also whales, right? And then the the, mm-hmm. the album title itself is a reference to this uh this coast in West Africa where the tide always goes in. And so um this coast has always been littered with like whale bones and stuff like that. And then as humans sort of evolved and uh, enjoyed maritime adventuring, the um, the boats would also wash up. I mean, like the, the boats are not like the way if the whales are no match for the tides, the boats are no match for the tides either. And they would, they mm-hmm. would. And, and so it was always, and it was the same thing is that the same like rib cage situations. It's like, whether it's like, fucking porpoises and whales and sharks or whether it's uh you know uh, canoes and uh galleons or whatever there was always mm-hmm. these skeletons on the on the coast right it was always called the skeleton coast and um mm-hmm. so anyway we we talked a lot about a lot of shit that we wanted on the cover and <laughs> david went away to, to jeremy and then came back and Jeremy had this like sketch and it was, it looked like a mad magazine, uh, <laughs> like cartoon where it was like, uh-huh. he had like really put in every single thing. And he was like, I know this is wild. I couldn't stop drawing it. This was so fun. And then mm-hmm. we saw it and we were like, you know what? It's got it. We, we, I think what we need is like the, the, the bones of a ship looking like a whale, a fox, and some of this debris. That is, like, let's 
Let's call it down mm-hmm. to that. And with that, like, really unhelpful um, <laughs> direction, <laughs> those two were able to create this really what I think is, like, a work of incredible art. Like, I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm so blown away by it when I see it. And, like, when people... And it, you're right. It does look different. And so there is, a like, a part of me that every time someone sees it, I'm like, is someone going to think this is weird as shit? And every time someone's like, holy cow, that looks terrific. I'm like, oh, good. Yes. I, mm-hmm. like, that, yeah. you, you know, it's like, that. That's that's, like, the chance that you take. And, but, I mean, we were in such good hands with these two artists like they're not gonna let us down so it, it and it it is it really is great i can't i can't say enough nice things about them and it and awesome yeah that's that's so that's so cool to hear david's been doing such great work for you for so long uh jeremy i wasn't really aware of his work until uh this album art came out but his stuff is incredible you all can follow him on instagram jeremy Brunel, illustrator david holtz is on instagram at strange holtz um yeah it's it's a fantastic piece i think that it um the reason people like it so much is is the fact that they just see it for its artistic merits and the idea that this is an album cover is almost like second to the fact that it's just a great piece of art yeah man like i i'm so happy with it and like that that fox is so like just looks so cool and like a little more vicious than like a kid's book fox is supposed to look but like not in like Mm -hmm. a over the top way and then there's the other fox in the background that you can see through and it's like they're just like kind of looking for each other. And I feel like when you guys hear the record out there, you'll see that there is like a there's a big like desire to connect um, theme in this record, like like a, a sort of looking for something and, uh, you know, a self-awareness of like your own shortcomings, but also like these are my fucking shortcomings, but uh, I still need you out there and like that cover i mean jeremy having turned this into us before the record was even done couldn't have even known that but the way that fox is walking in the back and the other foxes in the front just eating garbage it's like that sums up this fucking record so well thematically and like Mm -hmm. it's i don't know maybe i'm just talking too much (laughs) no way no way (laughs) great record i keep listening to it which is so much fun i can't wait for my copy to come i pre-ordered it got it on black vinyl uh you know i figure i figure the 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 kids can have the malort Mm -hmm. i'll take the black vinyl malort is for the children uh, (laughs) (laughs) um cool so last week we built it up we got into all of the energy that slowly started rolling again and brought us up to Metropole. Now we're going to talk about it. Metropole was released on January 28th, 2014. This was just inside of eight years after O'Calcutta, which to put into context, <laughs> a guided tour of Chicago 
and O'Calcutta, seven and a half years. That's crazy, man. Um, it's uh, it is so weird to think about that amount of time going by. I mean, the only band I can think of that did something like this um, is really the Descendants, right? Like they took a huge mm-hmm. amount of time off, and then they came back with a record that people were like, "Oh, this is still the Descendants." You know, and I mean, yeah. like, uh, obviously bands stop and they come back and they put out records. Some bands stop and they put out records and they're good. Not a lot of bands stop for eight years and put out records and then put out a record that some people would say has like, well, I mean, I can say with uh, the authority of someone that's been to every single Lawrence Arm show uh, <laughs> that uh, these are some <laughs> of the, like, the most popular songs we have, you know, and um and it's very mm. unusual. It's very unusual for that to be um, the case. And uh, I think, yeah, well, that was cool to be you. Was that the record, the Descendants record? Well, oh. when did everything sucks? Oh, come everything out? sucks. Yeah, I don't. You know, um, but who's re- who really knows the Descendants? You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> David Anthony. <laughs> That's goddamn right. Um, I mean, it's it is a wild concept too because it's not like it's not like when D four had six or seven years in between situationist comedy and Civil War because it was always kind of a conversation of when's this D four record gonna come out. I think Metropole had a lot of space in between where nobody was really sure. Yeah. So I, it's not like the the obituaries were being written, but. There was what you came back from is I think much more of a of a retirement type deal where you're coming back from what felt like it would be the end or could what, have been the end. I, I think I think what we came back from uh, a little more accurately is being a nostalgia band. Like we were never mm. we never like retired. We never stopped playing shows. But it was like all of a sudden we were this band that would like play festivals and, you know, have uh, have have people like more and more people being enthusiastic about us. And that was terrific. But I I think the thought was like the day the day is done for these guys, you know, and Mm -hmm. um, and that was. Sort of one of the guiding principles of of Metropole. It was like, well, you know what? If the day is done for us, uh, the day is done for us. But as I mentioned uh, last week, as Chris said, it's like this record's not fucking great. We're fuck it. We don't have to put it out. So like, we weren't mm-hmm. we weren't risking anything. We could always be that like nostalgia band, and we always will be a nostalgia band to some people at on some level because. Because people like our old stuff, and that's like a not a bad thing to be, you know what I mean? Like, I, it's, sure, it's, yeah. It's like, like, it's, uh, but we're also uh, this was Metropole came out. I think made us at least believe that like we were still a viable band, and not and not one of these nostalgia bands that puts out records so they can go out and play their old songs to their kids. Like all of a sudden the songs on our new record were the songs that people wanted to hear the most, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that, that is, I think a 
point of differentiation for us, at least. Uh, at least I will tell myself that. Uh, <laughs> you know? No, no, for sure. I think that that's great self-awareness because I think that, um, you know, the bands that would qualify under the nostalgia band heading, you're not sure if they know that that's what they're doing. Right. Or you're sort of entering in with this agreement that okay they're gonna play some of the new songs but they're gonna play like five of the hits and then they're gonna play a couple of old songs from the new record and people are gonna be like "Mm mm-hmm okay yeah waiting for the for the old ones to start Mm -hmm. and i feel like the self-awareness that you have there is is a good one because it's like you know that you have something to prove but you channel that like chip on your shoulder into making a dope record and you have the confidence of knowing that the record itself is good it's not like you're throwing something out there and just like hoping that it's still got the same magic yeah i mean well the thing is i think you know i i'm like a real broken record on this podcast but it's like how lucky am i to be in a band with Chris and Neil, two guys that are also, I shouldn't say also, two guys that are very visionary and are constantly pushing their shit forward. And, you know, when I think, obviously, like this band is like a complete triad. I think there's times when if like we start getting excited and I'll be like, dude, let's fucking stuff this record up everyone's ass and let's let's do it, you know? And then it's just like, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, we're the fucking best band in the world. Let's do, let's do that. And <laughs> boom, you know, like, and then, uh, it, 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 uh, it's just really, and I mean, you know, obviously like a lot of that's like very tongue in cheek, but a lot of that is like the operating system that you work under, even if it's like, you know, you fake it till you make it or whatever. And we're just like, you know what? Fuck it. We're, we're the fucking best band in the world. It's been eight years. Who gives a shit? Check this out. It's kind of like uh, when we played Greatest Story Ever Told in its entirety at the Dead Milkman show in the middle of the set list. It's like, this doesn't have to be hard. Just be a fucking good band and you can fucking do this. It's it's not something to brag about, you know? And here I am mm-hmm. bragging about putting out a record after eight years. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but you, you get my meaning. Uh, right. Well, yeah, I think it's it's dope too because you know we talked uh, last week. We talked about it a little bit more on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Better Sandwich, mm-hmm. um, where uh, the hip hop influence was in there, and you listen to hip hop records. Every rapper is out there saying that they're the best. Every rapper out there is throwing the best that they can onto their records as a top this i remember when kendrick came out and he called out all the other fucking rappers and it was you know everybody went nuts about it and i remember killer mike and lp talking about that and they were so excited that he aired that to the rest of the world and mike is like every time we're in the studio me and l are trying to fucking murder each other with our lyrics yeah and you gotta, you gotta carry yourself that way. Yeah, well, I mean, like, there's, there's a certain yes. Okay, first of all, and that that track was great because it, 
he totally motherfucks Drake in it, and then like he just like bit on mm-hmm. a Drake joint, like like the week before. Drake was like, I don't know, yeah. he really hurt my feelings, and then and it's like, yeah, you're on Degrassi Junior High. Uh, <laughs> Killer Mike is like, the show is the dopest, love it, you know. So that's um, I I dig that shit, but it's also like, you know, I I've actually said this on this podcast before. But to quote Baba Booey, man, if you're not for you, then who is for you? You know, like you, if you don't believe in yourself, man, if, uh, actually, there's a line from that fucking new, uh, Lawrence Arm song. If, if you're fighting yourself, no one is fighting for you. You know, and like, mm-hmm. uh, and, and it's, so yeah, we have to come into this being like, we're the best band in the world because if not, why? Right. Like, there's no, there's no reason to put out a mediocre record, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, so we mentioned Chris and Neil. Neil is living in LA. Chris is living in Portland. But you and Chris are writing songs about the same fucking scene in Vertigo. It feels like there is, we talked about that telepathy, mm-hmm. but. I think what is a really tremendous attribute to this record is the fact that you and Chris being so far apart are so in on each other's songs and it feels like really your most cohesive work as a unit of songwriters. Yeah, I mean, we tried to really drape each song over each song, you know, and like connect the two sides of the um of the songwriting uh you know um dyad dichotomy or whatever as Mm -hmm. as much as possible here and and like and it just so happened that like we were writing about the same shit you know and like there was like there was like lyrics that would just come up in like my songs that would come up in his songs there was uh, you know, melodies that would like, uh, sort of be complementary with one another, and you know, there's uh, and there's a song Metropole, which is in the middle, which is the most collaborative song that we've I think ever done. You know, um, mm-hmm. which it, like mm-hmm. we almost always work completely separate, but yeah, this really all came together in a way that was um. Yeah, I think we were all really feeling each other on this one, and it was and part of so, it is the excitement of of having it, having been so long, you know, and mm-hmm, part mm-hmm. And, and and our experience being almost exclusively one of being on the stage where you have to have that like sort of stage telepathy, and maybe that translates when it was like we became just like exclusively a live band for eight years, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're gonna go back in the studio. It's like, oh. Like, I know what you're doing. I know what you're going to do. You know? I think there Mm -hmm. might be something to that. I don't Mm -hmm. know. I mean, like, I don't want to make it sound too, like, zodiac or whatever, but... No, not at all. We talked about the idea for the artwork from Metropole being like a train map where the different songs were stops along the train and that this was basically a a journey through a city. Mm -hmm. How... 
how does that concept come together? Obviously, like mentioned that Chris, you and Chris are sort of writing about the same things, but where does the where does the let's like put it into these like very uh, specified terms come into play? Is it sort of at the end? Mm, n- well, um, so the opening track on this record. The Chilean District is one of the last songs I wrote for the record, but very mm-hmm. much with this in mind, like to have it like centered in a in a place, and and and, and that's like so like fictitious. Like, there's no such thing as like a Chilean district. I don't think anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and, right, I mean, right. perhaps there is. Um, and I I would love to visit. Please tell me, uh, you know, Brendan Kelly podcast at gmail.com, um, where the coolest Chilean district is. Cause, uh, from what I know, everyone's like, that's not a thing. And I'm like, well, that was the idea. It's supposed to be like, you know, seated in a, in a, in a fictive, um, start. But this was also the last I think the last song I wrote for the record. And it was because I thought we needed a first song. You know, Mm -hmm. and with the idea of how the way this record starts off with the the clip from uh, October Blood and then into this, that that was all sort of in our heads as I was putting this song together. Um, Like the way that the last song would start, then the first song would start, and then before the last song on the record, the first song would start again, and it would mirror that, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, all that kind of thing. But, uh, but yeah, so I don't know if you could say that it came early on or late on, because this is the first song on the record. It's very intentionally, like, grounded in a place to, to like, set mm-hmm. off the story, but it was also one of the last songs I wrote. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. the, so the sound of the crowd that opens up, we've got a lot of sound clips in here and I don't want to like ask about every single one, but, um, let's talk a little bit about just like the idea of the clips in general. Um, when did that come about and how did you go about getting those field recordings? Um, well, that sound of the crowd, that is played there at the very beginning, and then it is at the end of, um, or at, at, the, at the end of the record, at the beginning of um, uh, uh, Paradise Shitty, right? It's the same, mm-hmm. it's the same crowd sound and the same, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. And that's Babe Ruth yeah. uh, accepting his Hall of Fame um, induction, right? And he's just like about to die, mm-hmm. and and you you just mm-hmm. hear it, and it's just like this the the idea of like this huge crowd and this old like broken hero that's like you can tell in his voice is like at death's door. It's like mm-hmm. what fucking cooler way to open up a record after eight years away? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Like, here here we are, we're the old fucking, you know, like, we're these old, we're the old desiccated retiree, you know, and, uh, I mean, like, I think a lot of it was like, kind of like a dick flex thing, but also, 
there's just mm-hmm. such a like mortality to it, and it's like the sound like you can hear him being dead in his voice. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Like it's it's crazy, and yeah, I just think that there's the heaviness of it is awesome, and also the uh, the absolute posturing of it I think is awesome too. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, I think that it really sets up, um, I just need to say this because it's like at the front of my mind, so it needs to leave, uh, Babe Ruth signed my grandfather's cast when he was in third grade, when he broke his arm, and that is like the coolest thing that I've ever heard in my life. That's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's just like out of this world, you know, there's a, the, the myth of that guy is just something special and something that like i don't know you get into like sports figures with like mythic uh um capabilities we're we've reached a point where that just like doesn't really happen anymore because we see everybody so often so Mm -hmm. like ruth is you know in that sort of uh andre the giant territory where it's like what is this human yeah yeah i mean it's pretty. It's pretty cool. It's pretty. I mean, there's a fucking candy bar named after that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's pretty big. Yeah. So yeah, I think that also sets up this this thing that comes up several times in this record too, where it feels like you're also laying the groundwork for this might be the last one too. This might be the. Uh, this might be the the swan song, right? I don't know if that was deliberate, but I I think that um, I think that there's, you know, you come back after. Look, we came back and we're like, we're hey, we're going to be the best band ever, and we're going to put out a record and it's going to blow everyone's dicks off or whatever. But at the same time, uh, what if we're wrong? <laughs> You know, and like if if mm-hmm. if we did it and it was wrong, it's like okay, well that's the that's the end of us. You know, I mean like there's a calculated risk that's involved. Like you put out a record and it goes poorly, like there there's a lot of like good will that can be soured uh at that point. You know what I mean? Like and, and all of a yeah. sudden it's like it's like, oh, this band fucking sucks. I you know, I used to like them. And we knew that that was a thing when we came into this. It was like, all right, you either still like us or you're you used to like, it. you know, like. Mm-hmm. So I think that, you know, as mortality, um, in a more, you know, existential sense, uh, is obviously a theme on this record. Um, as so, it's a theme for the very life of our band. It's like this, mm-hmm. this. This this letter in a bottle will either make it to shore or it will fill up with water and sink, and then that's the end of that. Yeah, definitely. There's also the um, it's a it's a nice insurance policy too. If the record sucks and nobody likes it, and then a few years down the line, someone says, "God, they're like eulogizing." themselves on this record we should all go like back and listen to it and and appreciate it for what it was yeah i mean that's the uh i think i think i think there's um that kind of like 
fart sniffing rock criticism that's like that like that fucking uh that bullshit that pitchfork does now they're like oh you know uh now that nobody reads our website anymore let's go back and we're gonna say that this taking back sunday record was actually good even though we said it sucked before uh because Mm -hmm. we'd like the taking back sunday fans to come to pitchfork and it's like okay but there's i don't know with no offense to you know you or Josh Terry or Dan Ozzie or Dave Anthony. Like, there's a reason that, by and large, music journalism's gone fucking tits up. And it's because a lot of it comes across as, like, really asshole-ish, you know? And uh, and I think yeah. I can think of no better example than this just bald-faced mercenaryism of Pitchfork being like, Oh, you know, we did say the Alkaline Trio record sucked and that they deserve to eat garbage for having written it. But, man, they're popular. And so here we are, 15 years later, pretending Mm -hmm. that we liked it. I love the revisits, too, that are... um, They did Enema of the State, and they just talked about how sophomoric and shitty it is and how it just promotes misogyny and it's like you just gave the chronic a 10 (laughs) (laughs) yeah right it's like uh i and which i think uh should be overtly stated is no diss to the chronic or or to enema of the state but but it's Mm -hmm. like but it's like What's the fucking subtext here? Because it's uncomfortable to think about for even one second. So what's up, Pitchfork? What, do you hold white people to a higher standard than you hold black people? Or, you know, like, Uh what's your fucking thing? Because, like, the second you delve into that, it's like, answer answer me. Answer me, motherfucker. Mm -hmm. How come this is okay and this isn't okay? And, And it's just like... What is it because you're fucking culture slumming and you want to seem cool and you're like a fucking, uh, you know, uh, you know, like racialist, uh, train hopper, you know, like you, like you want, mm-hmm. like, and, and, and it's uncool. The, the Chronic is a better record than Enema of the State, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> No arguments there. I, but, I, I like. Uh, I, I've cried more to songs on Enema of the State than I have on the Chronic. But yeah, well, they, they, anyway, they, they that, definitely that's a story for a different podcast. They definitely both have their place, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, there is no song on the Chronic that that I could put on in place of What's My Age Again. Uh, <laughs> you know, and if I want that sort of like. Wistful, it's the last day of high school kind of feeling. Um, mm-hmm. Nothing but a G thing doesn't quite fucking hit the same mark. Even well, though that is what I was listening G-thang to. thing was originally titled Adam's Song. I don't know if you know that, <laughs> but it's, it's about the same guy. Yeah. I mean, um, not to make light. But I... So one of the things I love about this song is um, the... <laughs> The opening line, it's like, I'm Chilean. It's like, wait, hold up, what? And then it's just like, oh, this is just a song about a fucking Coke score. This is just like straight up riding through the city. 
Yeah, I mean, pretty much, yeah. Um, and I mean, <clears throat> it, there's definitely a bit of that, like, uh, writing exercise situation going on in the beginning of this, like, Chilean underway from a long, snowy winter, coming out so hard, I've been living mm. in a blender. It's like, got that, like, sort of, and I mean, I'm only saying that sort of a little retrospectively, just because I know how those verses tend to fall. Um, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily remember it being, being like that, uh, you know, when I was writing it, but, but yeah, this, this song is absolutely about going to buy drugs. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, and it's, it's about like <clears throat> the way I envision it is this is the starting off point for one of the two narrators of this record. And this particular narrator mm-hmm. is getting into a shitty, uh, Pinto and driving around in this shitty neighborhood, this fictive Chilean district. Um, And, you know, yeah, it's like all like fucking this like South American imagery, uh, which is, and and, and a lot of like sort of like totalitarian uh, South American imagery, which, you know, the, the inspiration is just that like, the fucking the cartels are in it with the bosses, man. You know, like like the mm-hmm. you know, it's like um because it, it originally at the end when it says like resolve to do nothing but lay here and twitch till the governor's men come and fill up this ditch. Uh, yeah, it originally said till Pinochet's men come and fill up this ditch, but I was like, fuck yeah, that that was that was how I wrote it, and un- until mm-hmm. like we were in the studio, that was what it was. But uh, I just kind of liked the the syncopation of "Till the Governor's Men Come" as opposed to "Till mm-hmm. Punisher's Men Come." I just thought it sounded a little cooler, like that little yeah, totally syncopation, or whatever. So um, I changed it. But yeah, this was a uh... <laughs> anyway. Yeah, yeah, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, just because the first few verses are like such a like this this narrator thinks that he's hot shit but he's driving around in a pinto and you know he's got like the shittiest fur coat on Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you know (laughs) that every time he like goes up to somebody uh and flexes like he's got power you know that he's had the shit kicked out of him maybe 12 hours ago <laughs> by someone he owes money to. That's that's amazing. That's the kind of, like, theater of the mind that, like, I really, like, sort of aspire to, I guess, with a lot of this stuff. Like, with the Wandering Bird stuff particularly, but, like, this is so much, like, yes. This, and, and you know, and, like, I, I even feel, like, the just the, the back and forth where it's, like, you know, like, I sing one line, then Chris sings the next line, then I sing one line, Chris sings the next line. We're getting into this after coming off of O'Calcutta, and it's like, well, we can't do the O'Calcutta thing again. You know, we did that. Mm-hmm. And, and so I said, this time, let's just do it absolutely more, e- even more Beastie Boys than we did before, right? And um, yeah, and so even though that this is sort of a first-person so- so- soliloquy, right? It's a, It's definitely a soliloquy about somebody who's not with anyone. But there's also that vibe of like two dudes sitting in the car kind of being like, 
yeah, this, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. all right, pull over here, you know, right. like that kind of shit, which I think is really fun too. Funny story, the song does not go over very well live, even though it's, I, I would think it would, like, I feel like it vibes the right way. It mm-hmm. doesn't go over very well live, and it's really hard to do that back and forth vocal because I just know all the words. I don't entirely remember which ones I'm supposed to be singing and which ones Chris is supposed to be singing. You know what I mean? Like, I just know the whole thing all the way through. And so we'll like play it and then we'll both not sing a line and we'll both be like, well, was that me or was that you? And (laughs) the whole thing. And that, that will come up on this record again. But yeah, it's just kind of a funny thing. So when you're working those back and forth, like who sings what, when, I mean, you talked kind of about having like an open door policy on sing whatever, but when it comes to uh, having Chris come in on the line, having you come in on the line, um, is that all, are you working that a lot or is it pretty instinctual? Like, why don't you come in here? Mm, I would usually what'll happen is like uh, like for for this song for example like I bring in the demo and it's me singing the whole thing and I'm like but I want mm-hmm. us to go back and forth here you know I don't want this to all be me singing um, so um, like I'll do this line you do this line we'll both do this one you know and then try to stagger it up so it's always a little bit surprising, right? So it's never like mm-hmm. me, you, us, me, you, us. You know, like I really want it to be more like me, me, you, us, you, you, us, me, you know, like right, that right. kind of thing. Just so it's just so it seems a little more interesting. Um mm-hmm. but that's what leads to us being like, I don't know who sings what on this fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, you know what? It's funny that you say that it doesn't go over, over live very well because I think that this song actually took me a little bit of time to really get because I think that the the way that you two are bouncing off of each other, it doesn't... It, it's sort of like, uh, I guess, puts a hue in front of the structure of the song, actually. You know, it's it's hard to follow, like, okay, here's... Verse one, verse two, verse three, chorus. Like, um, there's just so much bouncing around on it that I think it took me a little bit of time to really get used to the energy of it. And like, once it clicked, it was, I don't know, several several listens through. But once the walking on eggshells came in, I was like, oh, oh, fuck, this is a track. Yeah, that's um. Yeah, that that part was like the sort of uh, inspiration for the whole thing, right? And that's um, gosh, I can't remember the name of the project, but Mike Park did this like one crazy, like really like lo-fi punk project. But it was it was like this one seven inch, and it's fucking, and he's singing in, I believe, Japanese. I guess maybe it's Korean. Um, but I, I have a reason to remember that it's Japanese so that's maybe a little more likely mm-hmm. and I just fucking stole the melody dude that's <laughs> so good he called you out fuck no he doesn't listen to my music <laughs> <laughs> um 
I I do love too that there's a little bit of like before that chorus kicks in, there's a little bit of that Thunder Road energy of like, you know, I'm ugly, but I'm pretty much the best chance you have. It's you yeah. and beauty, but hey, you're all right. And Thunder Road, the explosion happens, and you're like, oh, but like maybe they're on their way out of here. And yeah. this one is just like. You are on your way to a three-foot hole in the ground. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, that whole, like, uh, like fucking in the hallway, bullets in the shag, you know, mm-hmm. thing is, like, supposed to have that, like, sort of frenetic... Um, it's the energy of the kid throwing the firecrackers in Boogie Nights. Boogie um, Nights. Yes. You know, um, and like, and like, I, I, I called it bullets in the shag because I thought that that sounded a little cooler and I couldn't figure out how to say firecrackers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's like, so yeah, I mean, you're on the trolley. This is a very sleazy song about very sleazy yeah. human beings. Uh-huh. Um, yesterday on Pre-Pro Yo. our new show. Over on Patreon, patreon.com slash better sandwich. Uh, you made a note about my use of the word underworld, which we'll get mm. to later on. But I'd just like to point out that right here we have two references to underworlds uh, the underworld of drugs and then the underworld of things that are literally under the surface of the earth garbage and dead bodies and decay. Yes. Yes, yes, So yes. you are here. Here's that train ride that we're talking about. This song is so cool. I think you'll like my read on it, that it's just as much of a character sketch as the song before it. It's just a different type of person going through the city, kind of a loner, kind of a lot going on underneath. I absolutely agree. Like, when I think about this, um, you're kind of frozen. I'm going to keep talking, but... uh, I can hear you, yeah. Okay, great. Um, But, yeah, I think of, like... I think this is, like... The first guy gets in the Pinto. The second guy gets on the L. You know? Um, And and it's... Mm -hmm. And it's... uh, Yeah, there's a lot going on in this song that's... uh, sort of underneath the surface and yeah it is it is it's a it's also a character sketch and it's i think it's one of more there's a lot of false bravado in in chilean district and there's a lot of very Mm -hmm. aware myopic uh internalization in in you are here right like Mm -hmm. um and and i think i think there's weird i don't don't know how that happened uh but uh, (laughs) you know like uh yeah there's like there's some real introversion and some real like fucking unearned dick flexing uh in the the songs reflect uh respectively but um uh this is we talked about on part one this is one of the first places where you really see that Chris McCoggan being like, I'm going to play a lot less and thereby Mm -hmm. make the songs bigger. I mean, just like those little like riffs that like lead in and out of some of these parts, like the ding, 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 you know? And Mm -hmm. it's, and it's just like, 
it's got that like American steel kind of like sloppiness to it. And it's like, you know, Chris yeah. could, Chris could play that shit like right on the fucking ones if he wanted to. You know what I mean? Like it's not like, mm-hmm. but it's just like that, the fucking style in there is so great. I love it. Um, but yeah, I feel like what's weird is what I feel like these tracks both really invoke weather like so much like without saying anything like the first song sounds like to me like sweating balls mm-hmm. and this song to me sounds like freezing fucking cold yeah. um i you know i don't know i don't know that maybe that's just me but um uh, those are the only two ways that Chicago weather exists, by the way, for those of you out there. Uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a pretty good point, too. Um, it's it's just got this, like, detachment to it that I I just picture this person sitting on the train just looking out and never really making any movements. They're just sitting there ominously and they might have a uh, a bunch of notebooks at home that have uh some real thoughts about society and people and what should be done yeah i mean um there's definitely like a catcher in the rye kind of vibe to this song a little bit you know yeah um, and um i think i think the thing is, the song is so fun to play, and it's like one that like everybody sings along to. And I think that like the the vibe of it, and just like the melody, obscures on some level that it's like fucking kind of dark. Uh, it's mm-hmm. definitely got like that like I'm biding my time kind of vibe to it, you know? Yeah. Like like uh, going to my job at the one hour photo and. Uh, uh, <laughs> we uh um this is also one of my favorite songs to play on the bass um if if i like if i was ever going to do one of those things like where like chris number two sits down and like plays the bass for an anti-flag song it's like he's obviously Mm -hmm. like a a virtuoso if i was ever going to do that this would probably be the song i'd do it for because this uh bass line is pretty for for me it's pretty fun yeah (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) we got hickey avenue tip of the hat to the heroes of last week's episode that's right man what's this song about um this song is about this record i mean (laughs) you know like the song is a is is purely like that's the the beginning part like where we take the hickey uh or voodoo glow skulls whatever you want to say like that sample we name the song mm-hmm. after Hickey, and it's just like, you know, we're back. This has been a long fucking slog of <laughs> getting to the point where we could get here, you know? Um, and And I don't even remember what I was like when I used to do this. You know, wow! Like yeah. that's like the sort of the thing. Like that, I know a lot of people. This is a song that I think is interesting because when I listen to it, I'm like, why isn't this one like a jam that people like ask for? 
And I know a lot of people have a problem with like that middle section, which I think is like sort of like the main part of the song, the what are we doing here? Nothing. That's what's killing me. And like the fact mm-hmm. that it is repetitive, it's structurally supposed to be repetitive. That's like the, the whole idea. I mean, obviously intentionality can go fuck itself when it comes to just like wanting to listen to something. But, um, right. You know, like, the, like my idea there was like to create this like sense of just like, pulsing sameness you know like i don't know if you've ever seen this is water uh the it's a uh david foster wallace um oh the speech yeah the yeah, speech yeah, yeah. right where he talks about like being an adult and it's like you don't understand what the daily grind is gonna be like because you haven't had to do it every fucking mm-hmm. day for years you know and mm-hmm. there's a, that was Sort of like some of the inspiration for that for that section um, of that song, but the other thing is this is one that we fucking absolutely can't sing live because it's so back and forth, and neither yeah. neither of us have any fucking idea who sings what. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so so uh, yeah, but I do like this one. This is another one where Chris fucking came in with like the sort of like slightly more minimalist guitar approach and it's got that kind of like fucking like desperado fandango kind of like that uh-huh. e, that a minor that he's just like kind of like vibratos out and oh it's so good and, and it's just like dude can we do this yeah <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. it's like that is such a cool thing for this like so we're gonna do a punk song where we sing back and forth like the beastie boys and then you're gonna do like this like fucking kind of flamenco guitar thing okay great mm-hmm. I, I, I don't, we'll see how we'll see how it goes but that's what this song is about the song is about this record and i also think of it as being spiritually where our two protagonists meet up finally yeah you, you know this is definitely this is like sort of where the journey the journey begins as it were it, it's really cool the way that this record it's it's like the first second and third tracks all build off of each other they're all sort of prologue in a way and then 17 are beautiful things come and it's just like boom there's the two singles right right there yeah this this like middle section of this record is really like uh you know, when I was listening to this to like be better prepared to talk to talk about it here, and it's just like you get to like this point in the record, and it's like, wow, there's a these are some some jams right here. Like <laughs> these are some big mm-hmm. some, some big mm-hmm. songs for for the Lawrence Arms. I mean, like Seventeeners, like and beautiful things are two of our most popular songs. You know, and and there's even another one on this record that's like one of our you know very popular most popular songs but i think i've told the story before like uh one day i woke up and i was like hung over and i went out and my wife was like pissed at me and i couldn't quite tell if it was because of anything i'd done or because i couldn't totally remember the night before i think you know so i was like mm-hmm. she mad at me like i but she didn't want anything to do with me and then i so i went over to my kids and I was like, hey, guys. And they're like, oh, you know, we don't want to talk to you. And then so I, like, went to my dogs. 
and I like tried to grab my dogs, and they both ran away from me. And I was like, you know what? Fuck all of you. And I'm like, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to write the fucking biggest hit I've ever written in my life about how fuck all of you. Uh, and that, that's the song. <laughs> And I think I think I, I think it was uh, I think that the, the the title on like the page because I actually typed it out and usually I, I write by hand but that one I typed out because I was and I think it said and it was the first thing I wrote on the page hit song about how my family hates me <laughs> I mean that was the original title of this song <laughs> did you write it in your rumpus room no no I, I don't have a rumpus room um I, I i wrote that song sitting at the little desk in my kitchen um, yeah my uh i i feel like it's cool it's it's just really cool that you go and do that my dad like watches hgtv when he needs to like get away um, but you got you got hit songs that you're writing about <laughs> being a dad in your family being mad at you. Yeah, it's just well, they just didn't like they just were not nice, man. Yeah, yeah you know? for sure. And and uh, I don't know the the whole thing's the whole thing's funny, but like it it ended up like working out shockingly well. Like uh, you know. For, for me, just sitting around, sitting down, and trying to, like, just have something to do, so I wouldn't just cry. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot going on in this song. That's that's kind of interesting. I mean, obviously, like, people have responded to it very well, and you know, it was the had a video, mm-hmm. um, the juggalos, yeah, the juggalos, and um, this song really reminds me of, um. I reread David Anthony's review of this record on the AV Club, and then also David had a really good tweet. Um, interestingly, you follow him on Twitter, but not me. He talked about how well this band is aging, and when I look at the punk bands that have aged really well, the tantamount to those bands is always that later record that has a real darkness to it anchors away by the bouncing souls i think is a great example and this one is such a good sad sentimental hopeful and enormously large song that's just straight to the to the bloodstream all of the emotion that you're communicating here, it only it can only come, and I'm not even saying that because of the subject matter, but it can only come from someone who's been fucking on a stage for a long time, and you hit on it so precisely. Oh man, that's that's great to hear. I mean, like this is a uh, this one is obviously like like I said, it's like resonant with me. It's resonant with a lot of people out there. Um, some, I guess, like a little bit of like the sort of like more trivial um, parts of this that I think are interesting are like, well, first of all, I really like the idea of subverting the idea of being a 17 year old person and then being the kind of person that drinks 17 beers. Um, and then, like, mm-hmm. and then, you know, like, so, like, and that, like, 
Toby Jag, he, he almost never uh, compliments me, and I don't blame him um, at all. But what, one day he's <laughs> like, just just wasted. He's like, you know, seventeen is a fucking great name for a song. And I like I like because it's the only compliment he's ever given me. I, I've always like taken that really yeah. to heart. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but um, the, but the um, there was it was New Year's Day, and me and Matt Skibo were walking home from a party through the snow. Um, it was two thousand, I believe. I think it was Y two K. Yeah. And um, that's like that entire part that like we thought about the ways we'd love to go high and beautiful and fucking in the snow on New Year's Day or Christmas mm-hmm. Eve. Like we were just talking about like how we how we would how we would fucking want to die or something. I mean, it was the kind of conversation you have at like nine in the morning on New Year's Day when you're coming home from a party, you know. So, uh-huh. um, but but that's 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 where that that whole thing comes from and then i tried to like pay a little bit of a more tribute to him for like you know stealing his soul and putting it into my song the uh underneath these shitty stars is kind of like stars yep how goddamn ugly the stars are or whatever Mm -hmm. you know yeah i i really love that that's that's what i think about too is it's it feels like such a a tip of the hat and i think tip of the hat is is falling way short that is just uh that's a real loving embrace for someone who's uh like been there since almost the beginning for you yeah yeah i mean uh those those guys i mean you know fuck uh, danny matt and derek are like some of my oldest friends and even like uh, even though Derek wasn't in the band back then, like I've, I've known him that entire time, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. And, uh, and it's just like, but yeah, so there's, I don't know. It's just, it just seemed to me that I, I guess, I guess obviously the whole thing was just on my mind and it, and it was much later on. I mean, my, my daughter wasn't born until 2010. So, I mean, this was mm-hmm. at least a decade after that day in the snow, you know? Um, yeah. But, I don't know. Maybe I was feeling like maudlin and it's what was me. And somehow that made me think of the alkaline trio for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. What, what an association to have. Um, I'm bringing this up not to break your balls, but <laughs> you are, as you fix your hair, you are a handsome man. <laughs> I'm I'm not. I I swear to God, you are a handsome dude. And at a time, you were much handsomer. <laughs> Thank Maybe you. I'm projecting. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> uh-huh. Again. I look like this, so I, there are no no throw no stones being thrown in glass houses here. But maybe I'm projecting. But you have always had a confidence that, to me, and I might be off here, but 
it feels like that confidence has been aided a little bit by the fact that you're a pretty good looking guy. Is that off base? Um, I mean, I don't, I don't see how like anybody's like persona can be not informed by the entire thing that goes into that. Right. Like if I think if, if people were like making fun of me and calling me like fucking dick nose all day long, um, or, you know, making fun of my, uh, you know, bad skin or whatever. You know, yeah, that, I think that would have a definite negative effect on me for sure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I think, uh, yeah, sure. I I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I've only I've only I've only been in one body no, right, ever. Right. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I think that, you know the the reason that I wanted to bring it up is that line about the pretty girls that used to smile at me like that is such a particular thing that you're expressing and it is so heartbreaking in in the way that you say it because it's not like you know it's not like you're looking for the attention but it's just like you see something like that and you can completely take it as just being like oh yeah I can feel good about myself about that. Sure. And here's what happened. You, you know, I my mom told me, and not just one time, I think. It's, you know, the kind of thing that she said here and there whenever it would come up and not, like, necessarily remembering that she'd said it to me before or whatever. And I don't want to make it sound like she, like, harped on this or whatever, but she would talk about how, like, she remembers the day that she stopped being, like, a hot woman. Like, mm-hmm. she was, like, trying to get her suitcase up in on a plane, and no one helped her. Yeah. And she's like, you don't understand. Like, people would always help me with my fucking suitcase. Like, <laughs> it was, mm-hmm. like, you know. And, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and, and just, like, and she was like, well, it's over. You know? <laughs> that, that was a good run. And it's uh, it's, yeah. it's fucking weird. And uh, I mean, my mom is seventy three. She's still very beautiful. Just uh, mm-hmm. you know, I, I would still help her with her suitcase anytime. But uh, you mm-hmm. know, like um, maybe maybe that's like some sort of like marbled in self awareness that uh, I got from her. But I mean, like mm-hmm. that that line always reminds me of that. Um. Of that thing from my youth of her of her saying that, yeah, I think there's always the uh the objective interviewer uh checklist, not checklist, but benchmarks. you know you're doing something good if you get somebody to talk about their mom for a little bit really That's goddamn um, right. but it reminded me of um John Mulaney told this great story on Marin years ago. Where he t- he was talking about being working on SNL and his mom came to visit him and Paul McCartney was one of the guests and he was just saying Paul McCartney's great at giving everybody like forty five seconds he is there for it and he knows what it means and his mom told him later that they had a nice exchange and then like when they were saying goodbye he winked at her. And she's just like, you have no idea. He 
he didn't need to do that, but that was amazing. And that always just warms my heart so much. That's terrific. I, it's good to know Paul McCartney's still out there just dehydrating old women. Just the last, the last of their life force. They're like, this vagina hasn't made any sort of lubrication in decades. And Paul McCartney winks at me, and now I've got to go to the ER. I love it. It's just like she's like the the Nazi from the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Just like he wakes, she's just like ah! just like just immediately died, like desiccates. Oh my god, that's great! That's great. Um, that's a superpower, Pat- man. Pat Creed. Um, uh, we love you, Cameron Fahey. We love you. Um, we, uh, we're thinking of you. Um, beautiful things. Um, it's just so, it's so sonically connected to Seventeener. It's like, if this was Chris's, like, band, this would be the song that is track three first single and Seventeener, if it's your band, track three first single and... Here they are, just back to back. It's perfect. Yeah, this one, um, this this combination is great, and like the, um, the sort of like the terrace music that goes between them is like, uh, so like the concertina that comes before Seventeener, and as well as this like sort of like, I, I can't think of another way to describe this than like terrace music, um. Mm-hmm. Uh, alfresco dining music uh you know um is uh is so crazy right on that it's almost as though a lot of people think that we wrote these pieces to be put in here for these songs Mm -hmm. but this shit was like i i straight up recorded that from uh, from musicians when i was like sitting outside like having a negroni uh you know and there's like yeah just like this random guy but to your point what what i'm saying is uh i I wasn't trying to gloss over what you're saying you were saying Mm -hmm. that these songs are so connected and i was saying they are they're so connected that even the music in between sounds like it was on purpose (laughs) you know like it's like yeah and and this this song is um uh this is one of Chris's really like fucking special songs and this is one that there is like that the like the wistfulness of it but it's also got like a bit of like shake to it like it's it's got a little bit of muscle just like in like mm-hmm. Kind of in that bass line that just does like the do 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 like kind of stuff that like Mm-hmm. I think like brings it like and then but I mean this whole song is like he 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 comes he comes with it here and he gave me like a really good opportunity to do what I think are like some pretty great backing vocals but that's yeah you know, that's that's just like 
you know, when, when, you're, when your fucking uh, bandmate is Chris McCoggan and brings you this song, it's like, oh, I see exactly what I should do for the backing vocals here. And I mean, this is like the thing that I was doing on this whole record, which is, you know, don't kill up like that kind of shit which is like don't believe mm-hmm. what you hear till you heard it from me like I was just like okay I'm gonna like this was where I think Chris and I finally realized that I'm actually the one with the high voice and he's the one with the low voice like I think huh. it, and it's like it's so obvious yeah. but all of a sudden like you know we're doing backing vocals for this shit and he's like you can hit these notes right and I was like oh yeah I can hit that shit all day he's like I can't do it at all. And then he's like, like singing back, backing vocals on my songs. And he's like, I'm going to do it like this. Like, you know, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, have we seriously had this fucking ass backwards this entire time? <laughs> like, we're like, we're trying to make Chris sing the high notes and me hit the low notes. And it's like, mm-hmm. and I, I don't, I can't even really understand how we came to, Honestly, and I know this is going to sound so stupid, but I think it's because, like, he's, like, blonde and fair, and I'm, like, black hair and dark, and it just seems like, oh, yeah, you'll have the, the deep voice, and you'll, you'll have the, yeah, the sure. like, the, the more, like, concert <laughs> voice or whatever, and it's like, uh I'm glad, you know, it took us eight years of not putting out a record <laughs> to figure this out, but, uh, but we finally did. And the end result, um, I think that the, this is one of the apexes of finally coming to that realization. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like I, like when we play this song, this is, you know, people don't, people are like gone or the, the days of O'Calcutta when they sang everything together, it's, I sing every word on this song, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah. But it's just like, the other thing is that Chris, Chris and my voices are so much more similar than I think people recognize. Like when it's like on this, mm-hmm. it, it there's, we always talk about it. Like we know, like whenever we do a good backing vocal, we always go, like it's like when it like it twist our fingers around because it's like yeah. I can't tell who's singing and one of those voices is mine so that's really you know mm-hmm. if I can't tell who's me that's you know Dave Mustaine has a yeah. song about that hello me it's me again uh. <laughs> I think that this is it. it was funny to listen and be like is that Brendan on the chorus and then thinking well he's singing all the verses it'd be really weird if Chris (laughs) then decided to do that backing vocal Um, but I think that this is also we'll get to your best vocal performance of all time which I think is on this record too this is Chris's strongest vocal performance and I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that he had a mountain to climb from where he started as a singer. He, um, he has always had a, like, 
remarkably uh, great timbre in his voice. Um, I think... I don't know. I, I feel dangerously close to feeling like I'm talking out of school here, but I, I think that because Chris's voice is so nice, he spent a long time trying to like rust it up a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, and it, I mean, there's a lot of things that we came to realize as artists over the course of this eight years. And I think, uh, the, the eight years that went into it before Metropole came out, that is. And um, I think the fact that we sort of grappled with and, like, accepted certain things about, like, our voices, like the fact that I've got the high voice and Chris has got the low voice. Chris, mm-hmm. like, really coming into his own with his, like, uh, his vocal control and, like, his, like it, it, which is, I mean... He's always been great. That's the, that's the other thing. But mm-hmm. I, I know what you're saying. This is a performance of a singer. Um, yes. And, 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 yeah. and, like, and that's like, dude, that's the reason that we are remarkable in having been able to make this record, I think. It's like, you, mm-hmm. you know, like, like to, to like, and I don't, I don't mean that to like pump my own tires or anything like that. But like, the, the one thing we've always done is study what we did what didn't work, what didn't sound good, and tried to improve upon it, you know? And mm-hmm. when we came back this time, we had studied all that stuff, and we improved upon it, you know? And um, Chris's vocal performance, and I think my vocal performance as well, I mean, you know, like... I, I feel like the um, Apathy Greatest Story era, like, he's he's in a good spot with his voice, but he's he's directing his voice somewhere. And this is a full on 120% performance from someone who is letting his voice guide and he's just pushing his voice. He's not trying to push it in any direction. He's just letting it go as as far as it can just completely naturally. Yeah, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying and I think that that's I think that's a hallmark of his vocals on this album in general is that he mm-hmm. he just he just kind of came to like you know what the, and and I think I think in a lot of ways um mine too um where we, it was just like there there's no affect here anymore like we're we are these we are these men you know <laughs> this this right. is the vo- right. this is the voices we have and and um and I think I think that ultimately it was really uh freeing and good for for us and uh but the, the other thing i would say about this particular track is the guitar playing is so good and mm-hmm. what matt allison does with the guitar tone is so unique it's not a tone that's on the rest of the album and for like one of like the standout songs on the record uh to have like it's like this unique guitar tone and then be like yeah but that's only for that song like why would mm-hmm. why you wouldn't apply right. it to lesser songs in order to like try to bring them up to this sort of level that's a testament to Matt Allison and Neil Hennessy's uh and Chris McCoggins um you know sort of acumen in the studio where it's like this is the song that needed that 
and that's it. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, this tone wouldn't work for these other songs. And it's it would be very easy to be a little bit lazier and have and I've tried to apply this because it works so well here in these other songs, but these dudes are fucking on it. What I love about this tone is, and this lead performance is that he's still playing throughout the song. He's playing a lot of open chords in the verse. He only really picks up the strumming, like in the Mm pre-chorus and then in the chorus, He's hitting open chords. There are a lot of chord changes. So it's just like dun, dun, dun. And it's, you don't hear open chords over a chorus like this because of the way the beat moves. But it's also like, I don't think Matt really turns that lead track down too much from when it's like playing the actual line. So to hear just those chords going over everything at yeah a, you know pretty similar volume is just like so fun to just key in on and just listen to that specific track in the song i think it's i think it's really interesting because i don't think of this as like a influence of chris's really at all but i think he it's really like got like a johnny marr kind of vibe to it in this song, mm. just like yeah. that, just like just, it's the sort of like that, like figured arpeggiating as solo kind of shit, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I don't know. How, that's like maybe getting too granular for people who don't care about like the tech of music, and then it's stupid and wrong to people that do. <laughs> so, I, you know, if I quit while I'm behind well, on that one, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I definitely know what you're saying. I think of songs like William, It Was Really Nothing. Um, just Johnny Marr's never writing like a ripping solo. He's always writing two or three guitar leads that are just arpeggiated over each other. That's my shit. That's fucking... I could go all day on just like listening to R.E.M. because well, that's what Peter Buck does. It goes back to like Roger McGinn and the Birds. Yeah, man, it's exactly, and that's like what Chris is doing here, right? And there's that one note right before the city was. Let's just say the city was. That's I. I know. I know. The, I know the. First, mm-hmm. I yeah, can't yeah, remember. Yeah. I can't remember what the next word is. That I don't. That's the only line I don't sing in this song. Uh, so I, I don't have to know it, Tim. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, but that last note, it's like, ding, 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 and it's like just sour but it's like by design mm-hmm. you know it's not like yeah. he bends a note and it's too bent it's like it's a note that's like the diminished seventh or whatever in the mm-hmm. in the scale and that's I remember when we were mixing the record and I was sitting there with Matt Allison and he was like I was like that note's crazy he's like that note's what makes this song I was like, oh, Matt Allison, I would love to talk to him someday, maybe tomorrow. I I know a guy. Uh, (laughs) I bet I bet you anything I could figure out a way to get Um, Matt Allison talking. So, um, 
Acheron River. Acheron? Acheron. Um, we talked about this when we uh, shot some pre-pros yesterday. Oh, yeah. Uh, and you told me, Acheron River, we got to talk about this because... It's just, there's, there's, a, there's a lot going on in this song. There's a, like, this is uh, one of those songs, this... I feel like this song takes like the muscle of O'Calcutta and then it's applied with like the overwrought referencing of Greatest Story Ever Told, right? And mm-hmm. and to me, as I said in the, the pre-production, this is the song more than any other song I've written that I'm surpri- the most surprised isn't like what people want to hear all the time because... To me, I'm like, this is such a quintessential Lawrence Arm song. Uh, and mm-hmm. it, and it, like, and I feel like the, the vibe of it is so cool. And when we do play it, we usually only play it on like War on Christmas. And when we do, it, like, people go off for it, but it's like, nobody asks for it, you know? Huh. And, yeah. and, and we have, we have enough songs that people ask for that it's like, it's fucking no skin off my back. I don't. I don't give a shit. You know what I mean. But like, mm-hmm. it just surprises me actually more than anything else. But like, I think part of it might be that weird fucking horn solo in the beginning. Um, because I just thought it was so funny and it sounded so sour. I mean, we said on the on the Patreon, uh, which is uh, Better Sandwich at uh, Patreon, right? Pa- Better Sandwich dot Patreon. Something like that. Yeah. If, if you got those mm-hmm. three words, you're you're there. Uh, and uh, um, um, that was a guy fucking laying on his back playing like a fucking alto sax uh, up into the sky in the middle of the night in Milan, in the middle of the street, wow. like not on the sidewalk, in the middle of the road, playing the saxophone. And I was like, well, I have been recording. Um, you know, street musicians, but I am definitely recording mm. this fucking guy. Um, and and then when we put it together with the music, and I was like, oh, it's kind of in tune, but it's got that sour, like, not quite right thing going on that's like like the beginning of Ron Searing Flesh after uh, the intro on uh, Greatest Story Ever Told. Like, where it, mm-hmm. it, like, rubs, and it's just, like, slightly, like, just, like, diuretic on your skin or whatever and you're just like <laughs> and so I was like oh it has to we have to keep it and I think and I'm not even bullshitting you I think that the fact that I used to be in a ska band like fucking 30 years ago mm-hmm. made people think like oh this is a ska song because of this fucking horn that's laced under the intro of this song because I've seen that written down. It's like, there's weird ska on this record. And uh-huh. I can't figure out where the fuck else anybody would ever think that. But it's like, that's, right. you know, like, you know, when people are like, you know, once you do porn, it's always going to be out there. It is the same with ska. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the only difference is ska uh, gets you the opposite of laid. Uh, and uh, it's way way less fun than porn. Uh, <laughs> Talk about that one next week. But oh, 
So the Agaron River carried the dead to the other side from the upper world to the underworld. Yeah, and I mean, like, um, and you know, this song is again, um, well, first of all, it's a geographical reference. It's the, it's, this is the river in the city that we're going through, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just like on the most, like, basic level of the concept of the record, right? Right. This is, you know, like, there's, there's, um, you will get to the end, there's Bonfire Park, there's, you know, Hickey Avenue. There's like, th- this is, this is a, this is a reference to the landscape where we're traversing, you know, in, in the mm-hmm. concept of this album, right? But this, yeah, this is also the, the river, the shepherds people into the underworld. And this is the point where the record turns south, right? This song, while very upbeat and positive, um, it's, uh, also, like fraught with uh what's like the, the beseecher kind of warnings you know like shit mm-hmm. like like he he this right now man because it's about to get dark yeah it's, it's about to yeah you know and and it's like yeah that so you know the beginning part it's like literally the circus that's being referenced is the circus from greatest story ever told right and um mm-hmm. You know, High and Lonesome is a Brian Fallon reference. Um, Bottom of the Hill is um, it's a San club Francisco. in San Francisco, but also mm-hmm. a no effects reference. You know, and then we can, and then and then the we kind of get into it, right? And like the idea of like there, there's a show called Mad Ventures. I don't know if you ever saw it, um, and it and it was too. Um, Icelandic dudes um, and it, it was just the two of them and each of them had a camera and they'd film the other and so because nobody's got like an agenda against Iceland um, and they're so small they got into some fucking situations that were you've never seen a reality show like this it was a travel show uh-huh. and I mean it's like they're standing in front of 20,000 $100 bags of cocaine with a guy with an anti-aircraft machine gun in the slums of Brazil. They're, wow. you know, got, they, they were able to do like so many incredible things. It's, it's a really, really, really wonderful show. Um, but there's, there's this one where they go to like the, um, the, the Ganges, um, and they're just watching the corpses like float down the river. And that was like a real, big inspiration for this this song and then like you know season seven of the worst show that i've ever seen was sort of like a batting off of that idea of like mad ventures being like the best show i've ever seen and Mm -hmm. the worst show i've ever seen is my life (laughs) you know and and uh but and this is your seventh record oh you know that uh, is that just a coincidence that's a coincidence. Uh, I, man, fuck. I wish I had thought of that. That's great. Um, Wait, is it the seventh, though? No, it's the sixth. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean. It was fun while it lasted. Shit. Yeah, no, no, that was, that was a good moment. Um, <laughs> but then uh, when I say, you know, 
we fucking hard all goddamn night. You goddamn right. You goddamn right. Right. First of mm-hmm. all, that's just awesome. Second yeah. of all, that's uh, my buddy Hiro Tanaka, who took the the back photo of uh, um, uh, butt sweat and tears. Right. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Hiro on the on the show before, and I don't know if I said this on here also, but he always goes. You're goddamn right, mm-hmm. right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. You know, and uh, and and, uh, and then the other day, I was well, the other day. I mean, it's probably six months ago at this point. Um, I was talking to Neil, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, it's weird." I was talking to Hero, and he said that he says "goddamn right" because of you. And I'm like, what? No, I say goddamn right because of Hero. <laughs> but, but, but so it, it's like. You know how, like, in the Terminator, in Terminator 2, mm-hmm. they, like, found the arm of the Terminator, and that was how they were able to develop the Terminator technology. So there was, yep. like, nobody ever actually invented the Terminator. That's, like, how goddamn right it is for me and Hero. And I think the two of us say it constantly, still to this day. And I say it with, like, complete affection for Hero. Every time I say goddamn right, I'm essentially just impersonating Hero Tanaka, right? Yeah. And, uh... And then he's like, oh, no, I, I got that from Brendan. It's funny. Beautiful. And at the end, we do the uh, Something to Believe in by Poison. You know, I go, I'm dying high and lonely at the end here of my day. Hey, hey, hey. That's like all just like straight ripped off of Something to Believe in by Poison. Because it's a, what, um, fuck, I can't remember the part. But, yeah, like... Uh, it's it's the exact same melody, and then he even does yay like in the in the background. <laughs> so, you know, I've never really thought about the fact that if C.C. Deville sang in Poison, the Lawrence Arms in Poison would pretty much be the same band. <laughs> um, I think Chris would be right up on my side saying the Poison is remarkably important to both of us um, as a band. Uh, we were huge, huge Poison fans. And, like, I think the first time we ever played um, together, Chris and I, in any capacity, I think it w- we played, both of us played acoustic guitars and we played Every Rose Has a Storm. Oh I mean... My. <laughs> like no joke like when I say poison was a big deal to us I, I'm not like being glib or like trying to hold on to like some sort of like funny cachet like if you could get tattooed when you're 14 I'd have a poison tattoo <laughs> that much I know because I remember wanting it uh, <laughs> fuck and, this is- and, and that is what I say to my child when he's like, it's stupid, I can't get a tattoo. I'm like, dude, <laughs> if I could have gotten a tattoo when I was your age, I'd have a fucking poison tattoo. <laughs> oh, It'd be cool to get, like, death in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey saying, dressed up like the woman, saying every rose has its thorn. <laughs> That is pretty good. I, I, I don't know. Art's none of my business. I'm, I have bad tattoos. That's <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. 
uh, Metropole, the titular track. So this song is uh, interesting in that the way I remember this is that Chris came and was like, I have this fucking song, but I can't quite, I can't pull it together. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I have these lyrics, but I can't, um, I can't quite make them into a song, but I really like the words. And I'm like, here are the words. You know, if, if you think they suck, whatever. And, um, and then Chris put it together and like, these aren't all my words by any stretch of the imagination. Um, mm-hmm. it's just mostly the phrase, I'm not together, I'm apart is, was mine. I mean, which you could tell because that's like my like sort of like stupid wordplay mm-hmm. as opposed to Chris's thoughtful uh, lyric writing. <laughs> um, and then, and then like the verse that I sing is mostly is, is mine uh, mm. lyrically. I mean, he wrote, he wrote his, his verse and the chorus and the outro. But that being said, it's the fact that I wrote like one line that he sings and, one short verse makes it, I think, the most collaborative song we've ever done. Yeah. Soundscape in the instrumental part in this is like mm-hmm. my maybe my favorite just like thing to listen to in any Lawrence Arm song. Like where I'm doing like those 16th notes and it's just like, and it's so fun to play too because it's just like, and then he's just and then he's just soaring, right? It's just gang ding 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 ding. And it's like and the 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 way Matt Allison captured those sounds, the way Neil just has it locked in, like this that part I would ride to work when we were like uh just finished mixing this record and I was listening to it every day just to like well because I mean first of all because I was excited about the whole thing but just to like really sort of vet it or whatever and just like mm-hmm. yeah every time I hear that part it just makes me think of just like me just like hauling ass on the bike path uh and like you know the sun rising behind like the fucking skyline and like the the lake and everything it's i don't know it's a big i think it's it's big it's cool and it's and it's that shit that i was talking about mm-hmm. where he decided not to play you know it's just that's just a bass yeah. riff and the guitar hitting single arpeggiated notes and it's so much more soaring than any like wall of chords or anything Yeah, it just brings up so much in the the sample as it comes in as well. You know, like, just on cue with the sounds of the orchestra's rise, like... Yeah, well, that, so that, that sample that comes in, <laughs> you're talking about in the beginning, right? Um, the beginning, yeah, and then it, is it the, it's the same uh, sample that returns, right? Well, okay, so... In the beginning, that's me and Chris walking through a casino, um, actually buying, I think, like a couple of mm-hmm. like rum and cokes. Weirdly enough, I don't know why, 
because that's not a drink that either of us usually drink. But I, I mean, Chris doesn't even really drink anymore. But um, sure, yeah, I seem to recall for whatever reason that we were, it was rum and cokes, and um, and it was like this, like kind of like fatter, like Polynesian bartender lady, and. I mean, like, I remember the moment very well, but that's what that sample in the beginning is. And it's, it's merely, merely there as like, mm-hmm. to be like that, like mundane minutia of, of existence, like the kind of like creeps into what you're trying to do. Yeah. Right. You're, you're trying to listen to this acoustic thing and instead mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, okay, that'll be 1250, whatever, you know, like, and, and it's like, and it's like supposed to have that like sort of push right. and pull. Um, I think at the end of this song, which is where the sample would come back in, that's just a random, like, we were out in, like, the like the Ped Mall in Vegas, and it, it was just like that, like, like, shit, mm-hmm. like, so it's from, like, it's from a different, time. same day, same hour. Yeah, probably same fifteen yeah. minutes, mm-hmm. but not a repeat mm-hmm. of the same thing. That's fucking dope. Um, one of the things that I really love about listening to this song is thinking about um, both Chris living in Portland and also Chris growing up near Graceland, where you have this scenery this woodsy uh nature and also a city and they're just like on top of each other and you know the neon trees and the wilderness of the streets it's just a really cool thing to think about like okay homeboy's out in portland now and then also he grows up by graceland which is just so large and green and expansive and also dark it's a fucking cemetery goddamn. yeah totally i mean you know it's funny uh i don't believe i almost uh didn't say this but <laughs> you know like after this record was like out he's like well so it turns out there's a band called neon trees that sucks <laughs> I, I wish i'd known about that <laughs> oh and i was like you didn't know there's a you didn't know about the Neon <laughs> like that's that's a they're a very popular band. But I mean No, of course he didn't fucking know about Neon Trees. Like what's he doing? Let's, like going to like Twisted Christmas? I mean <laughs> you know, he, doesn't, <laughs> he doesn't know about the Neon Trees. <laughs> oh. So drunk tweets. If you want sober tweets, you can find me on Twitter at Better Yet Pod. <laughs> then roasting the president here and there. <laughs> nice. He. You know what? He's, he's going to take him down one of these days. Believe it or not, though, um, I, I've got a reason for bringing up the fact that Brendan does not follow me on Twitter because our Patreon, Patreon.com slash Better Sandwich, which features shows like Prepro. Yeah. Uh, for a simple $7 a month, we just have one tier. We thought, let's just keep it simple. But I said to Brendan, how's it about we set up another tier? And if anyone pledges to this tier, you, Brendan, get to follow me on the old Twitter. So if anyone on Patreon would like to spend $69 
per month. Nice. Yes, uh, really did that. Right. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what we're talking about. Are, are we allowed? Are we allowed to to mention the? Uh... <laughs> the, the pleasures of the 69 I thought I, th- I thought that was an unspoken thing oh right uh, forgot we're not on the uncensored <laughs> but yeah 69 dollars a month pledge on patreon and Brendan will follow me on Twitter um he agreed to that amount but also on the yep. condition that you have to uh at least go through with one month of pledging on that amount and if anybody actually does we'll like donate that to Black Lives Matter. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you you just uh, do some charity work over there, and then I suffer for it. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it's like a dunk tank. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, um, so yeah, so yeah, do that and check and check out our Patreon. Also, you know, better sandwich. Uh, good, good shit. Good shit. We're having there. a lot of fun. If I do say mm-hmm. so myself. Um, but, dude, as much as I love Twitter, like, I can't believe that you write a song called Drunk Tweets. Like, really, dude? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, speaking of Patreon, we kind of talked about this the other day, but um, the uh, Kurt Vonnegut said, like, that the idea of trying to... Um, keep your work like timeless or whatever by avoiding technology is uh, one of the most asinine pursuits that you could ever hope to try to achieve because really the only fucking thing that's interesting about anything you do is the, the time in which you do it in. I mean like the struggles, you know, of like, you know, what is it? It's like, there's like seven struggles, right? It's like man versus nature, man versus society, uh, uh, I don't know. Man needs a blowjob. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't remember them all. I think that might be it. Those are not going to change. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's how hum- humanity works. But when you like watch Titanic and you're like, "Holy shit!" That's how they got the luggage down the stairs. Like that's interesting, you know. And it's mm-hmm. like. Like and, and 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 so, like the idea of leaving the part of your life out—that's the only part that like differentiates you from the rest of the entire continuum of space-time. Because uh, <laughs> like I, I hate to break this to you, but like I'm not interesting. Tim's not interesting. You're not interesting. We are all just the same people that were here like a thousand years ago, a hundred years ago. We'll be here in a hundred years. We'll be here in a thousand years. And, and like the only thing interesting about us is that we're adapting to this particular time period. Right. And I admire, I've, I've talked a lot about how I admire Kurt Vonnegut and I think that he's unfairly maligned by, um, intellectual shitheads who think that they're too good for him. Uh, and he said this and I, I read it and, and I was like, I will call the song drunk tweets. <laughs> you know, cause that's that, like, like just, I mean, to fucking to take another page from the Vonnegut book, which is start the story as close to the end as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, so there you go. Yeah. I saw that and I was like, I'll call it drunk tweets. Um, 
This song is often considered to be the stupidest song I've ever written. But it that is exactly wrong. I think it's not. Yeah. It's uh, a very good, seemingly stupid first verse, followed by an insanely highbrow second verse that also makes you look back at the first verse and say, oh, oh shit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the the idea, uh, like, first of all, this is like a big shout out to our old... um, tour manager Jordan Shalek, cause it, who is like the funniest, most amazing person on the earth. If you ever find yourself in a room with a guy named Jordan Shalek, uh, <laughs> and, 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 and then you go, did you happen to work with the Lawrence Arms? And he says, yes. Just cling to him for dear life because he's one of the most wonderful people that you'll ever be around in your entire life. Um hmm. But he, we we had this uh, this thing when we were we were cruising around when Jordan was our tour manager, and it was um, snack time USA, right? Uh, that 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 was mm-hmm. it'd be like, hey, uh, I'm a hungry time for snack time USA, and and Jordan had this song, and it was snack time USA, snack time USA, third world countries get out of my way, snack time USA. <laughs> I eat more for a snack than you do in a day. Snack, uh, and then I'll only eat half, then I'll throw it away. Uh, you know, like, like the whole thing was uh, like obviously about the uh, disgusting largesse of the American appetite, right? But mm-hmm. um, I fucking dropped two of those fucking uh, verses into this song, man. So you good. Know, snacking like an like what snacking like an asshole in the usa more than a snack than you do in a day right uh and and, and the idea it's just like because the beginning of this song is supposed to be willfully stupid you know um it like it it's supposed to be like I wanted to do something that Fat Mike would look at and go wow that's fucking childish Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like like, uh, and which is not to say anything bad about Fat Mike he's written some of the greatest most like erudite and intelligent songs uh, I've ever heard I mean the guy wrote The Decline for fuck's Mm -hmm. sakes Uh, but um, uh, you know he also can like sit in the fucking detention center at the grade school with the best of them, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, so that's what the, the, the first part of this is. But, uh, and also this was like a, 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 a writing exercise very much, um, like, uh, Pensacola wings of gold, because I thought that like putting the words "fuck you" into a song is about as dumb as it fucking gets, mm-hmm. you know. And I was like, if I can make a song that says "fuck you" every single fucking line, and it doesn't suck, then it will be good, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, that was sort of like the 
I don't know, the, the, the sourdough, um, what's that called? Like where you're trying to, aren't we all trying to make sourdough bread now? Or are we all just trying to keep our houses from being broken? I think we were trying to make sourdough last month and then, uh, mm. the cops started killing people, uh, a little bit more frequently again, so... <laughs> Yeah, my yeah, uh, my right. bread knowledge that I got through osmosis is gone, but I love how how you just dive into fucking crime and punishment and the Siberian <laughs> dogs and just hitting the most highfalutin shit that you can after. The yeah, I mean goofballs. Well, stuff. so the. Sur- the Serberian dogs are the guardians of the Akron River, man. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's like all like part of the same mythology or mythos or whatever you want to say, right? Like Cerberus is a three-headed dog that uh, guards River Styx. So the Serberian dogs is like, you know, sort of like making like adjective adjectivizing Cerberus's uh, name and you got to assume there's another dog over down mm-hmm. by the Akron River, uh, mm-hmm. also doing the same job, right? Um, then, yeah, then it's the Dostoevsky shit, um, Raskolnikovian. Raskolnikov is the the protagonist of Crime and Punishment, and then um, I am what I am is Popeye. Um, uh, (laughs) Bigger Thomas, too, which is uh, Richard Wright, Native Son. Yeah, Native Son, which is very similar to Crime and Punishment. I don't know if you've Mm -hmm. ever considered Uh, that, mm -hmm. uh, but, like, where it is the trapped rat version of, I mean, you, you know, Raskolnikov is, is so poor that, I mean, he have, he has a maid, but that's because of that's the way the times worked or whatever. But he lived in like essentially a closet, right? Mm. Um, and he just lived in absolute squalor. Bigger Thomas um, also lived in squalor, but Raskolnikov was free to like walk the streets and do whatever he wanted. Um, even as like the cop taunted him and he taunted the cop back or the detective rather, um, where big Thomas straight up hiding in Cabrini green in, in a tenement building and Mm -hmm. that whole, they're closing in around me. I can't believe they found me. It's every day he would get the paper and he would see that like where he could possibly be was getting smaller and smaller. Like that's in, in the book, you know? And, uh, but yeah, those, those 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 books have a lot in common. But it's just being like a trapped rat in a cage and like wanting to, I don't know, exist for for yourself and how that that could like really flare out of control. But then at the end of this, this is my um. Oh my god, I'm I'm boring Tim, so I know I'm boring you guys. No, <laughs> you're not. I'm looking at yeah. the words. Oh, um, the the uh, the end of this word says there's no unraveling the rings of the tree. That's my reference mm-hmm. to Vertigo. 
Um, and uh, this was the thing that uh, I mean this entire this entire back half, you know, the prophets with their sandwich boards and beards and hard feet. That's obviously like just like sort of like an end times reference. But there's no unraveling the rings of this tree is what I was saying before about how there's nothing interesting about us. Uh, this this time is the only thing we have, mm-hmm. right? Like, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's been these fucking doomsayers forever. There's been Raskolnikov. There's been Bigger Thomas. There's been you. There's been these, like, fucking, like, Blackwater rich assholes there's been snack time usa looking assholes mm-hmm. uh it, it's, it's it's all it's all the fucking same there's no unraveling the rings of the tree man so like this is our time like this yeah. is what's significant this song is very much about acknowledging the time you live in i guess more than anything else which is odd uh way to come out of this ass backwards but there, there you go yeah no. <laughs> great you're so good. Um, I love that Vertigo scene. I watched it again last night. And just the perspective that they put on... All right, cool. At the middle here, we've got 1066, the fucking Norman Conquest. And here's your life. It's a, a cool and different approach to the, you know, we are at this stage on the doomsday clock or whatever all of our existence has been Mm -hmm. like this time um seeing it in that naturalistic and tangible way is is you know almost more profound because it's there it's right there you can see it yeah and and it's like you know it's 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 so fucking weird uh because you could just put like it here was you know, the Han dynasty or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> well, I don't even know yeah, what, what that is. is. But that? you know what uh-huh. else? I, <laughs> but you know what else? I don't know what the fucking Norman conquest was either. The like, only like reason I because- know the Norman conquest is because I majored in English. I had to take a history of the English language class. That's when French invaded Britain. It changed the entire makeup of our language. It was the only date I had to memorize in college. And it wasn't even a date. It was a fucking year. So is that why we say hors d'oeuvres? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Chow down. Um, we got, where do the bagpipes come from uh, in between uh, this one and YMCA? Straight up Vegas streets, man. Like, that's what I think is mm-hmm. so cool about this, this fucking uh, soundscape that goes on here beyond the, the songs is like, Half of it's recorded in Vegas, and or we talked about this on the Patreon, but um, it's so filthy sounding. Mm-hmm. Everything that's recorded in Vegas just sounds like white noise or just dirt. And then everything recorded in Europe is like, here's a fucking concertina playing like a beautiful... This mm-hmm. guy's literally passed out in the street, and he's still playing this like virtuoso fucking run on his piccolo sax or whatever yeah. the fuck it is you know and it's it's just like a nice 
internationalization of the whole thing. But yeah, this bagpipe. Ooh, it's just ugly, isn't it? It just mm. sounds so mean. And like, if if we're gonna continue the metaphor of this being a journey of two people through a city or whatever, I feel like drunk tweets is where it gets bad, and then this is where it bottoms out. Yeah, YMCA, down the street, from the clinic. <laughs> Bottoming out is uh, putting it lightly, my dude. Yeah, um, yeah. this one's, this one's dark. Um, this is the other big song on this record, um, besides uh, 17er and Beautiful Things. Mm-hmm. You Are Here is up there, but like... I think this is the second most played song we have on Spotify. Yeah, it um, is. And it is really something that that's the case. <laughs> like, I, I, we almost left this song off the record, actually. Um, and it was I was um, in my car with Ben Peer playing him the final mix of the whole record, and he was like... This record's really good. And then I was like, here's this song. I really like this song, but it's not going to go on the record. And he goes, and it was YMCA. And he goes, dude, what do you mean that's not going on the record? The record should just be that song 12 times. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, like, you know, he was obviously like, you know, being funny. But I think his point was like, you got, you got something here, you know? Um, yeah, you shouldn't you shouldn't fuck with this. So this was a last minute edition, and man, um, I really like this song for like my own personal songwriting journey. This really hits a lot of sweet spots. Like this is like I sort of feel like where this is like where Daniel Larusso crane kicks. Uh, Johnny at the end of Karate Kid. It's like everything kind of comes together and works out, you know, like mm-hmm. this is like what I was trying to do in like the Falcon and the Wandering Birds and the Lawrence Arms all in one place finally. And yeah. um uh I don't know. I'm I'm really happy people like have responded to this song. It's it's a dark one. It's a <laughs> like it's yeah. fucking weird. It really is. Um, and I feel like this one is more bold than drunk tweets. This one is the yeah. most like, I mean, it makes sense that you were hesitant to put it on the record. It just feels like something that is going to possibly not go over well with mm-hmm. people. Yeah, um, I think. It is very easy to look at this song now, and there's, like, certain things in it that I think have become, like, sort of in their own little way in our little universe, like, iconic. But those are the very things that were, like, sort of terrifying about this song existing in the first place, right? Like, mm-hmm. like I mean, there's some... It's It's really self-flagellating and uh like 
it kind of like I feel like it kind of starts you out with like a joke, and it's like oh no, but this isn't funny, uh, and then and then it gets into some really dark imagery, and then it just becomes like, and I'm disgusting. Mm-hmm. Okay, bye. <laughs> you know, like it's it's. Uh, uh, I don't know. It's like r- writing this, like really, um, and and putting it out and having people respond to it really was a a big. Um, like I said, you know, we always try to learn from everything we do, and for me, this helped me learn that like this amount of like real honesty can be like is important to the artistic process. Like, you know, not to, not to shy away from it, but to like, to lean into it. And, and again, it's, it's like what we were talking about with, uh, with the Violet Femmes and like the song American Music or what we were talking about with, you know, Kurt Vonnegut and Drunk Tweets. Like, it's, it's only you and your time. You're the only thing that's, that makes this interesting. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just a song. That's 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 nothing. That who cares, you know? And like, there, I don't know. There's a lot, a lot of me in this. <laughs> it's a little dark, but yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's what are you gonna do? I guess how how did you? Um, was there like a conscious choice to just lean into it? Let me like talk about myself in the grossest way possible, or does it start rolling a little bit and then you're just like, you know what? Let's not put any restrictions on where this goes. Yeah, I think I think that that's like I think when you start a song with the phrase click on the link for the world's biggest dick you can pretty much only go up from there <laughs> so it's, it's fine you know um, and, uh, <laughs> um, I, I, I think that that just like sets the tone of like what what is it really it's like fuck all you people if I had the energy to say fuck all you people mm-hmm. like that's what I think that this song's message is it's not even like fuck you it's like I yes if I had enough energy to care I would say fuck you mm-hmm. I, I, but, but this this is this is my I, I'm just going to rot over here like that that's 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 what I'm into and like the the YMCA, um, I used to work out at the YMCA, and it was always disgusting and weird, and there's mm-hmm. always a guy, like, washing his balls in the sink and all that shit, you know? And mm-hmm. and I've always found, you know, it's like a real stand-up comedy trope, right? Like, that, like every comedian goes to the gym and then writes about how right. there's, like, a bunch uh. of fucking... Old swinging brains, fucking uh-huh. <laughs> walking, walking around everywhere, and, and and to me, I'm like, there's nothing comedic about that. That is like the, it's just like an expose of decay, you know. Like, and it's mm-hmm. like what, like what, just even you know, people joke. 
a lot about old men not caring that their dicks are out. Do you know why old men don't care that their dicks are out? Because their dicks are no longer relevant to anything. Like, uh-huh. there, there's, there's, like, something so much more bleak in that than I think anybody ever wants to admit or, or notice. Because, I mean, because you're going there. You know? Like, that's, that's good. If, if you're in the, if you're in the gym with these old men, best case scenario, you turn into one of these guys with one of these irrelevant dicks. Uh, mm-hmm. Worst case scenario, you don't make it that far, you know. And and I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to say that uh, the relevance of your dick is like anyway like uh, consummate with the value of your life by any stretch of the imagination. I just mean it as a metaphor, and I think it's just like. I don't even have a problem with people joking about, dude, naked old men in the gym is hilarious. Naked uh-huh. old men look like shit. Right. It's funny, you know? But, like, I just think there's a bleakness to it that is often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and that's sort of part of this whole thing. I mean, this, the bleakness that is often overlooked could be the title of this song. <laughs> Also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. you know. Um, it's so. like it, it, there is a real lack of attention to the self to the extent that you just don't care about anybody else. It's like I remember this. Maybe this is a weird tangent, but I'll try and get through it quickly. There was a guy that we used to deliver sandwiches to at Jimmy John's and he was he was very 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 morbidly obese and he um did not bathe and he did not like wear clothing most of the time and we'd have to deliver sandwiches to him and it was what was his sa- what was his sandwich of choice um he ordered it was either four um of the <laughs> okay. club sandwiches <laughs> Or two uh-huh. of the gargantuans, which is every meat. And, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. And, like, in the um, in the process of delivering to him, it was like he always called during lunch. He, always, he lived far away. He never tipped. So you get that call. It's like, this motherfucker is taking away my time and my money when it's busy so that I can go over there and make nothing. And there's just this conflict of, like, Okay, there is so much more going on with this person and their lack of attention to themselves, but also, like, fuck this guy. Like, I don't want to see, um, like, one of my coworkers saw this guy's balls when, when they delivered. Yo, just because, so- just because somebody's existence is miserable doesn't mean you have to put up with them. Exactly. And, like, it... You know, and, like, I think that might sound, like, cruel or harsh or whatever, but, like, I mean it from the other side more than I mean it, Mm -hmm. like, for us as, like, "Eh, you don't have to put up with that fucking, you know, gigantic nutsack out obese guy ordering two gargantuans or whatever. It's more like, just because your life sucks... Doesn't mean you're entitled to goodwill, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you still have to be a human being. 
to people. Like, you still have yeah. to fucking, t- like, you know, like, fuck, man. I'm, there's, we've all had moments of extreme, probably, like, wildly fluctuating depression, probably mm. in the last year, right. based on just, like, the, the universe or whatever. And it's like, I've, I've had times when I'm like, I don't care about anything at all. That does not mean that I get to be an asshole to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, right. like, yeah, yeah. well, well, you know what? I could be, I could be an asshole to people, but then I would have to deal with the fact that I was being an asshole to them and the consequences of me being an asshole. It doesn't mm-hmm. get me out of anything, you right. know? And, and like, I, I feel like that's, um, and, and I think that, uh, I don't know if this fat Jimmy John's guy story is all the way done, but I think what you're saying is very much in line with the narrator of this YMCA song. And mm-hmm. this is a person who is resigned to not even fucking with anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just like, and this is another. This is another example of the. Uh, this is another Vertigo reference in here. The rings inside this tree are rotten deeper down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and that's a that's a really poignant line too, because it's the the internal is really what's like making all of this fall apart. Yeah, right. I mean, it's like it's like this. It's a it's a it's a kid that's like standing there watching a guy like try to wash his nuts at the YMCA mm-hmm. and be like, oh, just look at this old alcoholic man trying to wash his. I'm literally exactly this guy. Uh, I just because of one like click on one dial in some fucking office in some heaven based on some god that I've never even heard of. I'm not this guy. <laughs> but like I'm yeah. the same guy, and and like, and the thing is black in the middle, and it's that thing is me, you know, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, um, it's a good yeah, thing that thing- you don't see yourself in that way very often, but. <laughs> It's. <laughs> I think the positive is that recognition that, like, yeah, when something like depression kicks in to such an extent that I am bringing down the life of those around me, that's my problem. And that's something that mm-hmm. I have to deal with. Yeah, I think, I think that's... I, yeah, I, think, and I, I mean, I think that's important. And I think that's... That's also important for um, just mental health maintenance, you know, because if if you don't keep that shit in mind, uh, it's very easy to start blaming people that you've alienated for being mad at you for alienating them. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. Like, I, I, I don't like I, I I'm speaking purely from personal experience here, um, but it's like when I'm in a very low spot. You know, and I'm like, oh, they didn't fucking understand, like, <laughs> when I, you know, threw a fucking, 
coffee mug across the room that I was just upset or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and, that, and now they're apprehensive about being around me. Fuck them. I don't need them as friends. You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like, uh, dude, that's out of control behavior. Mm-hmm. You can do it. Your friends will still love you because they're your friends who love you. But you don't get to just throw a fucking coffee table or coffee cup across the room and expect any results besides people being like, yo, chill the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like it, it and uh, I don't know. I don't know. I we mean, got somewhere good. With I'm no that. big. I'm no <laughs> big city mental health professional, but uh, I, I, I do. I do think there's something to that shit. Um, I'm no big city sandwich delivery boy. Um, <laughs> I'll never fade away. I fucking love this song so much in the way that I love You Are Here as a song about something that's happening underneath the surface with somebody. This is the most straightforward Lawrence Arm song in a long, I mean, mm. in a mm. long time, I think, you know, it's, it, it's got a real, like, tribute to, like, bad religion in it. Like, just the, mm-hmm. the guitar solo at the beginning, and then, I'll never fade away. Yeah, yeah. Like, like all that shit. It's like, it's, it's, it's what... You know, it's, I mean, that's like our favorite band, right? And, Mm -hmm. and I think it's, there's, there's like a very cool love song aspect to this. This song, we tried to rehearse it and Chris couldn't remember the solo at at the top. (laughs) He just goes, yo, stop. Fuck this. We're not playing this song. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so <Okay>. like, <laughs> that was, that was kind of it for Never Fade Away. Uh, <laughs> but, but like, you know, there's just, a, there's a, there's songs like this that, um, I think this song's great. I love, I love mm-hmm. it. I can't wait to hear what you're, like fucking bubbling about over there, but uh, the there are songs that just are on a record. I mean, Hickey Avenue is another example of a song on this record where it's like, I think it's a great song. We just don't play it, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I think I think Chris like couldn't remember the solo. He couldn't remember the the f- uh, placement for the figure where he started the solo, mm-hmm. and was just like. Is this really the song I want to fucking spend 20 minutes trying to remember this fucking solo for? No, fuck this. There's plenty of other songs on this record, and we've got so many songs in our catalog. You know, but the way it came out, because it's like that's our whole thing is like, I think we're a very efficient band, you know? So it's just Mm -hmm. like, all right, let's try it again. Oh, fuck this. We're not doing this song. Uh, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. It's cool because it's like it reads as a song that Chris could just be 
writing about himself. He could be writing about the Lawrence Arms. But when you look at it, there's also some of this, like, lone gunman energy, which obviously is something like, I fire, I miss, I fire again. Um, But then ending that bridge with, we'll be together, it's, if you detach this completely from Chris, and you put this as just a narrator, this is a fucking John Hinckley, like composite <laughs> um you know that there is uh there is a lone gunman assassin kind of vibe to this i never considered it before but like i'm like so wildly naive tim i, I like and I, I don't say that like with false modesty or anything like i really truly am i i just took it that uh, i taking this as it comes and since chris has not murdered any presidents or <laughs> tried to I, I i'm assuming that this is probably not uh that but like yeah definitely like it's it, it's got that jfa kind of thing and i i and i mean mm-hmm. that as jody foster's army not the band mm-hmm. but like john hinckley mm-hmm. being like you know, yeah, I love you. We'll be together. I fire, I miss, I fire again. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I, I, I never really considered it like that. But this is totally John Hinckley's love song to Jodie Foster. That's what this is. <laughs> it's crazy. I love it. Uh, that, and that is p- punk. Friends. Yeah. That is punk. <laughs> um. Paradise Shitty, this is my favorite song on the record far and away. And I love a lot of songs on this record. Right on. This one, um, this is, well, first of all, obviously the chorus or the the title is um, Guns N' Roses reference, Mm -hmm. right? Second of all, when I was writing... (laughs) So this is the second time, the second appearance of the Babe Ruth um, sample. Mm-hmm. It's the same audience. And it, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started writing this song, the exercise was, was kind of mean. Whatever. Uh, I, I feel like my, my intentionality will shine through because I, I'm such a fan. I was trying to write like kind of like a cheese dick like Brian Fallon kind of song. That's that's what the Aww. that's what the verse is. Like, yeah. Save a song for me to sing boy if you wanna play a song tonight. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Like I, I like it's sort of ironic that part. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I like I, I didn't write that like as like me talking, I wrote that as like a Americana dude mm-hmm. doing a thing, yeah, <laughs> you know, and then, um, and then and then it it, go, it goes through uh, the the whole the whole verse or whatever, 
But in the chorus, I just straight steal from Brian Fallon because he's so much better than me. Anyway, um, it's, <laughs> I never will forget you, my American son. Yeah. You know, it's uh-huh. uh, this song, National Anthem. It's like, it it's the exact say they just ain't home to me no matter what they say i mean it's it's not even like and 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 i was like i kind of make fun of you here but then i'm gonna totally rip you off here so so double the crime (laughs) (laughs) you know know? like you're you're uh I'll, i'll make fun of you because I'm an asshole, and then I'll steal from you because I'm less talented. Uh, <laughs> That's what he gets you know. for getting a Lawrence Arms tattoo. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, man. Free pro! But, uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so, um, in that, yeah, I, I think this song did turn out really cool, though, because it's like, with things like that, they end up making me go to places that I wouldn't go otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if I'm like, I'm like, what would I do if I was writing a Brian Fallon song? And you know, obviously, I wouldn't put a song on a record that was like actually like that I thought was stupid or making fun. It was just like, I'll come from this perspective, and I'm kind of like having fun with it here yeah. or whatever. But like, but that's but it is a little bit of irony in there, mm-hmm. like that, you know. And then the second verse is supposed to be me, more sincerely, but it's from the perspective of Mitt Romney's dog. (laughs) (laughs) Go on. The second second verse of this song is written from the perspective of Mitt Romney's dog. It says, strap me to the station wagon roof and drive me out into the hills. I may sound like I'm screaming from the car, but I'm just screaming from the thrill. (laughs) Uh, So... Yeah, they weren't all happy days, Marge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, makes sense. No, yeah, totally. So, <laughs> 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 yeah, uh, no, that's that's. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember that. Uh, I have no idea no, what you're uh, talking about. Uh, Mitt Romney was among the many things that, like, just hit him squarely in the dick while he was trying to run for president uh, were um, this accusation that he put his dog on the roof of his station wagon in, like, a crate in order to, like drive it cross country or whatever Uh and he was like the dog was fine the dog loved it and everybody was like dude isn't that like a member of your family you're just like strapping a member of your family to the roof of your car like i i think it's weird you know and he's like it's just it dogs are the roof of the car my friend you know like (laughs) and uh So, um, but no, I I was just going to say, I think, I think the whole thing was really stupid and I don't, 
honestly care. I like who Mitt Romney's dog is the last person I'm worried about. Mitt uh-huh. Romney making a worse life for. Uh, but, but you know, like uh, at the same time, it was it just dominated the news so much, and it was just like the the Americana sentiment that I was like going for with this song. I wanted mm-hmm. to call it Paradise Shitty. Right. I wanted it to be a Guns N' Roses reference. Um, I, you know, and then, and then there's the Brian Fallon aspect of it, which you could even hear in the timbre of my voice in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Save a song for me to sing. Like I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. doing that Brian, that Brian Fallon impersonation a little bit there. You know, like, I, and, and, um, and, and then, and then I straight up steal the chorus. Yeah, um, I love that so much. But, but but we're not even done with the things I stole for this song. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can I guess? Uh, go ahead. Is it the melody for the bridge? Um. What 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 are you Lonely what are you referring to as the bridge and candy yeah, yeah. cane waves? Okay. Okay. Where's it come from? I don't know. Oh, it's the entire end, Tim. It's um, Scientist by Coldplay. <laughs> I stole the whole fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's it's just the whole thing is stolen. It, there's, there's not, there, it's not even like really trying hard to cover it up. It's the, kind of the same as the chorus in this one. I was just mm-hmm. like, these are songs I'm really digging right now. Let's just put them together and I'll sing them. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. What was that? Nobody said it was easy. Oh, I know that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. We'd rather go big and just ride away. Give in to love, wonder cast away. You know, like... Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, so... Uh, so, yeah. So, stole that part, too. Um, so, <laughs> so when you say this is your favorite song on the record, you've you've got a lot of people to tell. I don't think I'm one of them. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that because it's like, oh, of course, of course, the song that makes me well up almost every time. Which I don't think any of your songs do that, but this one is just like, oh, especially when that bridge starts, like, okay, okay, okay. Um, yeah, makes sense that it's straight up taken from like the sappiest, most sentimental band on the planet that I would never, never tell anybody that I can vibe with that, but oh, fuck, uh, now I'm gonna go listen to that record and probably just feel all the feels yeah you know yeah i mean coldplay's a cool band uh well no that's not true um (laughs) coldplay's whack as shit but chris martin writes some good stuff and it's like if you can like search through the shit man it's there's some really there's some really good stuff in there and 
Like, that's a huge part of what I love about being in a band and being in a band like the Lawrence Arms, where I can, and, and being able to do this, where I can be like, dude, I took this from the scientist by Coldplay. Like, you, like, you think you'd like just fucking dirty rock and roll or whatever, but like, mm -hmm. the, there, there's some cool shit out there. And like, you, you have to lean into your influences. You have to wear them on your sleeve. You, you know, and Chris Martin writes some good songs, man. I did yeah. Um, I, nobody said it was, yeah, so that, yeah, that first part, that lollipop dreams, candy cane waves, heard like hell when they film. That, that is, that's me. Mm -hmm. I, that, that's not stolen. Yeah. But as soon as it, as soon as it cascades down, it, like for the, from the sea, uh, that is all Chris Martin. Mm -hmm. Good for him. I really like the sentiment here. Um, there's just so much that's packed into that end part, especially, um, you know, we said, fuck all the old boring shits. We've become like, where does that line come from? Well, like the the whole thing is like you know the the entire Ocalcutta record. There was a huge push thematically regarding like fuck the old days, right? Mm -hmm. Like let's mm -hmm. do it today, right? Yeah. And and the the update to that the the reboot if you will is like wow we've gotten pretty old and boring and like we were supposed to do a lot right like mm -hmm. we, we had we had plans here and so we poisoned our dreams and we killed everyone right like it's like It's not. It's not a dream if I didn't have it, man. You know, mm -hmm. like, like you, you, you don't get to be mad at yourself for never becoming a doctor if you retroactively decide you never wanted to be a doctor in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, like, um, and and I think this in a very similar way to YMCA is mm -hmm. like a mental health song, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, this is this is like. Yeah, we poisoned our dreams and we killed everyone. Is that's the way you get out of having to look at your dreams and recognize that you're not doing them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like I want to, I want to go to college in Paris, uh, and then it's like, now nah, you know what? I never fucking wanted to go to college in Paris. Who mm -hmm. cares? You know, I'm perfectly happy that I went to fucking McHenry Junior College. And nothing wrong with McHenry Junior College. Shout out. Um, I'm an emeritus uh, professor there also. I don't know if you know that. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah. Yeah, so it's like the the best way to not be disappointed in yourself is to retroactively kill your dreams. Mm -hmm. Uh if there's a sadder thing to say, I don't know what it is. <laughs> but what you come out, where, where you come out from 
that statement though is like man we were just having some fun and i know that you've got the we knew not what we'd done reference um but also looking at that line it's just like this there's so much weight that is put into whether or not this punk record is gonna be good enough like who fucking cares yeah well i mean it it, it is you're you're absolutely correct tim uh the thing that's weird is that like for for me and i think for the, the guys in my band the the reality is that we have to in order to be like the band that i think that we are which is like a cool self-aware band that's very um much in touch with reality and you know whatever whatever that entails we have to be like oh, this is just stupid but at the same time it has to be the most important thing that we fucking do mm-hmm. you know like this is our band like 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 this <laughs> like we we don't get to be the like in touch with reality is a privileged phrase for people that get to do things that are not in touch with reality. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You've never, you've never heard someone go, Oh man, that cashier at McDonald's really in touch with reality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. You've never seen someone as down to earth as my barista. Like, uh, actually you probably never heard that phrase either because, you know, barista somehow managed to, subvert that entire paradigm anyway uh god damn right you gotta fucking you don't understand what goes into pulling those espresso shots but uh but so so there is there there is like a a push and pull there that's that's very real and and it's like on one hand what we do is frivolous and to not understand and recognize and overtly call that out would be to not be the people we are and would subvert everything we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. But this is still like the most important thing in our lives. Like, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know, and, and, and I think that is like sort of like the struggle of what this song is trying to come to grips with a little bit is, is like, like, yeah, man, we were just having some fun. Who cares? Fuck this. I'm just ripping off Brian Fallon over here. I'm ripping uh-huh. off Chris Martin over here. But secretly, I hope you like this song better than all those songs. Like, and and I need you to. If you don't, whatever. But, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. I think that um, there's, so, there's so much magic in... Um, I don't know. This line reminds me of sitting up for hours with my best friends in a van. And that was such a triumphant statement. And this one, I know that you're like 
coming from a perspective that's like removed from it a little bit, but you retain that. And like the, the artistic merits of this shit that the three of you did together is uh it's really special and there's a reason that people latch on to it i would say with a little bit more of a uh closeness than the many more people who like coldplay all right well yeah yeah well um the, the word cold is right in their name. So, you know, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of distance there. Um, <laughs> but but that's, 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 that's really nice. And, you know, I mean, that's what we were going for. If, if there is like a thematic vibe on Metropole that takes you back to like the most triumphant in my opinion the most triumphant song on the most triumphant album we've ever made uh, and, and, and like and you're like this reminds me of that I mean I get it I think that there's a, I think there's something very interesting going on in this record and I think that it's also like this is the record that everybody thinks a lot of those other records are like this, this is, this is the nerd record, you know, like this is, this is the record packed with influences, packed with references, packed with, uh, tips of the hat, um, meticulously constructed to all go together. Like this is, Hey y'all, we hit a snag in our recording here. Brendan ran out of disc space. So our conversation on October Blood was cut off partially. Mine recorded. And let me tell you, I mean, there were interesting parts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Funny parts. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Funnier. (laughs) And even... Well, I think that now would be a perfect time to bring out our special surprise guest... Unfortunately, we didn't make this realization until well after it happened, which working from home, am I right? Uh, We recorded the end of the conversation on the Skype call, but didn't realize, well, one of us didn't realize, but that's not, we're, we're both waiting for Godot. The point is October blood got cut off. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about it next week. Or maybe it becomes the criminal of this podcast. Tayo! <laughs> I gotta tell you, since he's not here right now, I can say it. I'm having the best time. Here's the Skype call. We'll take care of the other stuff. As long as you're here, we'll be here. I am just glad to be here. So the uh, yeah. audio quality is uh, is going to be a, a little bit of a downshift, but we wanted to... Well, what I was saying, Brennan, is that I think you're just so great. Oh, thanks, buddy. Uh, the, it's really, you know, nobody but, like, the worst human beings on the earth ever get to, like, sit around and talk about their art with somebody that knows about their art. You know, like, like mm-hmm. it, it's like, you, you know... Paul McCartney winking at your friend's mom aside, uh, 
like uh you, you know like it's like hey i'm billy joel and it's like hey i'm an asshole that writes for rolling stone that loves billy joel and so you know we could sit down and talk about billy joel songs on a level that is you know microscopic and granular and irritating to most people uh i to have the opportunity to 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 do this with you is great like um because this shit is important to me and i i do put a lot of my life into it and stuff like that and i would never uh want to like barf it all over anybody to to hear about this stuff because you know it's like but i'm i'm just i'm just doing my job lady you know like mm-hmm. uh and, and 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 i think that that's i think that's an important attitude to maintain um i think this pandemic has created an opportunity to do this and it's it's very nice and i appreciate it i appreciate all of you i appreciate you tim it's uh it is you know it's it's as exciting to get to talk about this stuff as it is to to do it you know so yeah that's all it's nice to hear that um and uh as 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 one of your biggest fans this is the type of thing that I've always wanted to hear. And I know that we're, we get nothing but responses um, that just express gratitude for it. So um, it works on all sides and that's a really special thing. And we thank all of you for joining us this week and invite you to come back next week when we're going to talk about uh, what, what would you like to talk about, Brendan? I think next week we gotta do slapstick, man. Oh. Do the slapstick record. Holy shit! Well, that is just gonna be story hour. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, yeah, I. Um, for those of you who don't know, when I was 16, I joined a band called Slapstick. Was the singer I just sang, and. Uh, we went on to change the world, man. Um, there's other <laughs> very famous people in that band, such as Rob Kellenberger. Um, okay, so that's, <laughs> that's, uh, <laughs> that's my take. I, I, I like how I say Rob Kellenberger, like I'm throwing him under the bus. Like he wasn't by far, isn't the most talented of any I've ever played with in any band. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, just, just for the record, Rob, Rob Kellenberger is so much more talented than anyone that I've ever known, uh, and also taught me how to be funny, uh, which I'm apparently doing a bad job at. <laughs> <laughs> Brandy Kelly Podcast at gmail dot com. I know that we got a lot of people who listen who go all the way back we would i would love to be able to field some of your questions for that episode it's going to be a fun one we've got a patreon patreon.com slash better sandwich we'll be back next week talking slapstick we'll see you then thanks Bubba. pick it up <laughs> uh, oh shit sure.